is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, May 2nd, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast, a proud partner of the Pulse Media Group. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling, there are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family always cranking out the big, big savings down at MyPillow. Whether you're in the market for the MyPillow version 2.0, buy one, get one free, MyPillow Dog Bed, the Airland Dells, and Giza Dream Everything. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code STAKE here, you're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE for anything sleep-related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash STAKE. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, talking fashion tips with Rep Santos, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram, find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find the link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social, welcome, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 235. I'm Roan, Noah's here. Yo. Alan's going to be joining us in just a little bit, sitting third chair. Guys, we've got a trio of congressmen on the show today, Reps Gooden, Crane, and Rep George Santos. Retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor is going to be here as well. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about, lots of news developing, but before we get into any of that... Let's take it over to the Lone Star State. And welcome to the show. This is the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Welcome to our Tuesday edition of the show. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. Guys, make sure you're subscribed across every downloadable podcasting platform and social media. Just type in Steak for Breakfast. Hit the notification bell. As we're getting things rolling here, we're going to take it over to the great state of Texas. And joining us for the first time, he's the congressman representing Texas's 5th District. Representative Lance Gooden, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Our pleasure. Well, sir, we want to start off with things that are pertinent to all U.S. citizens right now, but definitely down in Texas and along the U.S. southern border. That's the presumptive end of Title 42 in about two weeks. And uh, what's going on behind the scenes, especially at the congressional level, to kind of combat that? We saw uh, the Secure Border Act of 2023 passed out of committee 
uh, uh, late last week, and uh, we just want to know what you're working on right now in regards to uh, making sure at least the Border Patrol and, and, and the citizens of all these border states are, are more prepared when Title 42 is supposed to end on May 11th. Well, it, first of all, it's a it's a sad state of affairs. We've been uh, dreading this moment. Uh, we I think we got lucky back in December, I believe it was, when it was set to expire and it got extended. And as you said, we passed a border security plan out of House Judiciary last week or week before, perhaps. And then the same plan and our similar plan has been discussed and marked up in the Homeland Security Committee. And then we're expecting floor action on the 9th or the 10th, I believe, of May. So next week and plus a few days, we should pass this bill out of the House, which I think will send a very uh, strong and united message um, to Americans, to those coming to our nation, and hopefully to Democrats uh, to get on board and do something about this. Now, what does it say for the at least the House Republicans who are doing a lot of work to get ahead of the end of Title 42? And then you look on the other side of the coin, uh, Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas went and did the Sunday morning news circuit over the weekend. And, and some of the biggest and, and important questions they asked him is why he thinks the Border Patrol doesn't like him and, and, and nothing to, you know, the end of Title 42 or what plans they have to, to, to more secure our border. Well, you know, the American people, I believe uh, anyone that's paying attention to this has lost faith in him because he has not given them the tools to succeed. He has said we're not going to enforce the laws. Um, We have uh, not given Border Patrol a system whereby they can turn away all of the thousands of people that are abusing the asylum process. They are accepting everyone that comes across the border, and we are just being over run. But I think another frustration is so much of what we've seen come from Secretary Mayorkas is is just not even factual. For him to tell a committee last week that the border is secure, and then the very next week, yesterday, in fact, we see Mayor Lori Lightfoot up in Chicago uh, talking about the immigrants that are overrunning her city and the crisis that she's facing, the hypocrisy, the lies from the left. Why why hasn't Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot criticized Joe Biden? For letting these immigrants come across it's it's always the republican governors but there's never any criticism toward the biden administration that's uh, re- really the cause for all of this no it's an excellent point you make there congressman and you know we did see Karine jean pierre uh in the white house press conference late last week i believe it was on friday they basically took all of the things House Republicans have worked on since January and said that they're not doing them. They're actually trying to make them worse. They said that House Republicans are defunding uh, Border Patrol agents, that they want to raise taxes and then Social Security and do all this stuff that Joe Biden's going to try and use as part of his reelection campaign platform. We all know it's not true and it was quite laughable, but we actually played it on the show twice because my co-host couldn't believe that she went out and projected that hard. Now, with the big win House, House uh, Republicans picked up last week with the limit, say, Grow Act passing and moving on to the Senate. Um, this this basically contradicts exactly what she was saying, what Joe Biden is saying, and definitely gets reckless spending, at least at this point, gives it a better chance of getting under control. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, no one with a brain believes anything that she's saying up there <laughs> on that podium. Democrat don't even believe that. No one in the United States of America really believes, no matter your party, that the border is secure. I can't even find a Democratic colleague of mine who will come on television and say that they believe the border is really secure. Um, There's always criticism for whatever plan it is we've got, but there's just so uh, much rooting to fail 
tail uh, from the other side. They were rooting and gleefully laughing at us as if we couldn't cobble together the votes, which we did uh, to get our bill passed last week. And so uh, the administration, I think, has miscalculated the entire way. They've miscalculated Speaker McCarthy. And then last week, I believe they were actually surprised that the bill passed. And now they're coping with just what it is they're going to do. Senator Schumer said that the Senate's going to start holding hearings on the bill uh, to message to the American people. I've never heard of hearings uh, being held just to message over a bill that the pass, uh, that the House has passed. So we'll see what happens. But I just don't envision a scenario where the debt, seal- the debt limit is raised on its own without some meaningful cuts. And I think that our bill that we passed last week puts Republicans in a great position. No, the cuts have to happen. And and the best part, I mean, Chuck Schumer could go out and grandstand about it all he wants with 26 uh, Democrat Senate seats up for reelection. You know, we've asked a couple congressmen and women who have come on the show recently. They, they think that this actually could pass the Senate. Uh, not, not as hard as probably Chuck Schumer wants it and make it to Joe Biden's desk, which puts the ball back in Kevin McCarthy's court. And, and the reason is, I mean, just when you talk about the ones who are usually 50-50 on, on Republican-sponsored bills anyway, like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, Joe Manchin still can't figure out what he's going to do. Is it going to be re-election? Is he going to run for president, maybe governor at some point? But, you know, with both of those uh, moderate and, and independents kind of up for re-election, they're probably going to side with this bill just based off the negative campaign stuff. A lot of Senate Democrats are going to see if they just kind of blow it off as something that, oh, we're just going to kill this bill because it's sponsored by Republicans. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, on the House side, the um, the... The House is the only one that has a plan that has actually passed a plan. The only thing we've heard from Joe Biden is, one, he won't meet with Kevin McCarthy to discuss it. I can't imagine a scenario where any American on the street, if they were polled, no matter what neighborhood they live in, whether it's Portland, Oregon, or the middle of Texas, um, I, I just can't imagine an American saying our president should not sit and work with the Speaker of the House. Everywhere I go, people say we want people in Washington to work together and get something done. So when the, when the U.S. House run by Republicans passes a bill and they're saying, meet with us, Mr. President, so we can work through this and get a plan together and he won't even meet with the Speaker, it sends a pretty bad message. And I don't, I don't think that he'll be rewarded for that position. No, I, I agree with you there. And I think a lot of our listenership will as well. So I do want to touch on Joe Biden kind of rolled out his re-election campaign last week weird as all things are with, with this administration it was a pre-recorded less than three minute video which uh talked about zero of his accomplishments uh none of the pieces of legislation that has been passed because as we all know the inflation non-reduction act has made inflation worse and the american rescue plan obviously started this whole downtrend towards a recession right now and uh showed a lot of footage of things like george floyd january 6th and and you know talking about people uh republicans don't want to be able to uh say who can get married or loved and then like burning books just kind of a big propaganda video now i'm I'm sure over the course of your life congressman you've seen a lot of people run for public office several presidents over the course of that time as well was this probably the oddest thing that you've ever seen in regards to someone who's a sitting president and looking to run for re-election like asking the american people to approve of the job that he's done for the last going to be four years by november of next year yeah, it's totally crazy. Uh, I mean, just things that you you rolled off just then. I mean, January 6th happened before he was even president. He's uh, talking about wanting to finish the job he started, and we may very well be deep in a recession one year from now. So those words may come back to haunt him because, as we all know, President 
residents get the credit or the blame, uh, whatever you want to call it, for whatever the economic picture is. So I uh, I think that the future is is not too bright for the last year and a half of this uh, first term of his, and I, I believe it'll be his last term. But I know that Democrats are not excited about his uh, his reelection campaign. I suspect that they're doing quite a bit of soul searching and polling. And I wouldn't be surprised if they made even more changes internally between now and when they really have to finalize who their who their running mate is, who's going to be a part of this campaign, uh, members of the administration that may or may not be on board a year from now. There's no telling how many changes they'll make. Yeah, and when you talk about just the cabinet members who have you know crossed the threshold for what a lot of people, at least in the Republican House, would consider impeachable offenses. Just off the top of my head, you got Mayor Pete, Janet Yellen, Alejandro Mayorkas, Merrick Garland, just to name a few. Uh, there's probably going to be some changes. We saw Joe Biden's chief of staff, uh, Ron Klain, leave in the last few months, and then Susan Rice early last week announced she won't be part of the immediate whatever she does behind the scenes, kind of running operations for all the former Obama administration officials in there. Now we're starting to see, you know, Secretary Blinken's even coming under fire with the uh, 51 former intelligence officials letters and how that was actually whipped in the 2020 presidential election uh, cycle, which is what I want to segue to last. You had a really... Uh, you made some news last week in regards to your endorsement of President Trump for 2024. Uh, you were up in D.C. I believe you met with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You you either heard him speak or talked with him. We don't know exactly. We'd hoped you'd clarify for us. And then shortly thereafter, you you publicly announced that you'd be endorsing President Trump uh, in his reelection quest to take back the White House. You want to just let our listenership know what, what kind of went into that? Because, you know, we're an America First podcast. We obviously have an overwhelming majority of you know, the former president's legal team, administration officials, and uh, congressmen and women who he's endorsed come through our show and talk about maybe, you know, some point in the near future continuing his platform. He's outlined it as Agenda 47 and how that's going to probably best serve the American people. Yeah, sure. I I was not someone who just automatically threw my name down on a list of endorsers for President Trump. Uh, I, I love President Trump, but I said, I'm going to vet everyone and everyone that's serious and uh, visit with them and make up my decision after I have. I promised my constituents that. I even thought, you know, I'm going to do this for the never Trumpers even in my district who always said, Lance, you would just uh, support him no matter what. And I said, you know what? How about this? I'm going to give it a little, little time. I'm going to vet the candidates. And then when I do come out and support whoever it is I am, you're going to respect that decision even more. And I got several of them to agree with that strategy. And so I did that. I, I finally met with Governor DeSantis. He was nice enough. Um, but I ended up deciding that Donald Trump is the man and I am supporting him 1000%. And he was happy and he accepted my logic behind uh, my, my strategy with how I uh, made a choice to, to endorse in the race. And I think he ultimately loved it um yes it is true it made some news that i did it right after um, i met with governor DeSantis, and uh, president trump probably enjoyed that more than perhaps other endorsements but i think it uh, is a testament to the fact that those of us um, who have constituencies and who are out in the public um, we have talents that we can share and contribute to the trump campaign and we all need to be off the side headlines if we're not at this at this point in time um, i believe governor DeSantis is going to announce in the next two weeks that he's running uh, perhaps next week i think is the la latest rumor i heard and so we've just really got to hit the ground running i don't think now is his time i wish he would not run because then we could really get focused on winning this nomination 
Republican and beating Joe Biden. Um, but unfortunately, we'll probably have to go through a, a rough primary season. But that's part of the process. And I'm confident that Donald Trump will be victorious. I'm working very hard to get him elected and to get him uh, safely through the through the finish line so we can all focus on defeating Joe Biden. And I believe the American people will as well. I don't really have uh, anything negative to say about Ron DeSantis, but I, I don't think it's his time now. I don't think he's ready. And I think we need someone that's a proven fighter and that knows uh, how Washington works and can uh, take the fight to the Democrats. And I think that members of Congress are uh, getting on board and the American people are, are realizing if in case they've forgotten uh, who their number one ally is in this country. And that's Donald Trump. You know, he's got the receipts to show it after whether it's geopolitically rebuilding the economy, like, one and a half times, making the border a lot more secure and combating, you know, some of our uh, geopolitical non-friends like China and Russia, basically keeping them at bay for the entirety of his, uh, you know, first term in office while doing things like the Abraham Accords, bringing some peace to portions of the Middle East. And, you know, that's just things off the top of our head and uh, that we think about. And, and there's a lot more work to, to get done. President Trump's kind of outlined that in his uh, release of his campaign platform. It's it's kind of unfinished business in some parts and then new things in others. And uh, we're glad you made the endorsement. We're glad you took the time out of your schedule to sit down with us today. Congressman, we're going to live link your uh, congressional website in our show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, wants to keep track about all the hard work you're doing up there in Capitol Hill, where can we follow you? Um, I'm on Twitter at Lance Gooden, L-A-N-C-E-G-O-O-D-E-N. And I... Um, would, would appreciate the follow and i really enjoyed being with you guys and thank you for the great work you do and would also ask your listeners to get out there and spread the word because we've got a lot of work to do for donald j trump we certainly do this is the congressman representing texas's fifth district representative lance good thanks for joining us on the show today thank you guys have a good one all right coming back and that was great having congressman gooden on the show with us for the first time so Alejandro Mayorkas and Tony Blinken. Alejandro? Our DHS chief and the Secretary of State are in a little bit of hot water over the last couple of weeks after we've seen reports of Alejandro Mayorkas uh, obviously lied to Congress over the course of the last year. How Secretary Blinken apparently was the one whipping Whip. the memo to discredit the Hunter Biden laptop. Uh, we're going to get to him in a little bit, but we're going to get down to the southern border and stick in the thread of Stuff going on in Texas because, as Congressman Gooden alluded to, uh, we have a little bit of an issue down there, and I've had one for it's not operational control very long time. Well, we'll get to that in a bit too. Um, apparently, the detention centers are overran. Weird, so weird. Uh, which, which is obviously, it, actually, it is weird because they're releasing everybody they catch. So, I, I mean, oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I guess that many people are coming. The turnstile is just. It's really gumming up. It's heating up. Yeah. So melting the bearings. No way to quell the concerns of the American people about the disaster on the southern border than to have your embattled DHS chief sit down with fake news, Jake Tapper, on Meet the Fake Press this Sunday and talk about some of the uh, critical issues here. Let's hear about how much hard work Alejandro Mayorkas and friends are doing down on the southwest border. There's already reports in Brownsville. Texas right now, shelters are overwhelmed. The cities of Chicago and New York are already overwhelmed. What's May 12th going to look like if we're already overwhelmed before the expiration of Title 42? A few things, Chuck. First of all, 
This is a really tough challenge and has been, as we all recognize, for years and years. We are seeing a level of migration, not just at our southern border, but throughout the hemisphere that is unprecedented. It is, I think, the greatest migration in our hemisphere since World War II. wonder how that started. The president Mm. on day one delivered a solution. He delivered immigration reform legislation that we had hoped Congress would act on swiftly. They haven't. Within the constraints of a broken immigration system, we are doing so much. It was working working pretty good before he got here. (laughs) I can't even believe what this guy is saying. That's our great friend sitting third chair today, the host of The Great Divide and CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company, Alan Jacoby. Alan, why are you laughing? He Uh, says they're doing... uh, Adam, Adam, so Adam, J- Adam Jacoby's with us today. Uh, literally, yes. literally speechless, like um, just um, treasonous lying. <laughs> I mean, Mr. CEO, thank you for your question. Uh, I would just like <laughs> I would just like to address that. At, uh, at least I know how much the wristbands are worth. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> he doesn't, apparently. Well, I don't know if you guys heard. This is breaking news that happened on Sunday. But the new definition of a secure border dropped. It's oh, a, what it, is it now? It's a quick one. You might miss it if you uh, hit the garrison button too many times. So let's check it out. What's uh, the definition of secure border to you? It is in the context uh, in which we are working. It is maximizing <laughs> the resources that we have available to us to deliver the most effective results. <laughs> so We're doing absolutely nothing. Uh, it, it could also be referenced as um, the old college try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What an idiot. God, I hate him. You know, the, the Border Security Act of 2023 <laughs> got out of committee last week late, and it was something that— uh, It is an act. Well, we're, no, we're going to be touching on it with Congressman Eli Crane in just a bit. And, you know, this is a House Republican-sponsored bill. It's to combat the end of Title 42, which is scheduled for now just about 10 days from now. Man, it is going to be wild. Yeah. And uh, I, I did get a, a, a good write-up on it, some notes from Congressman uh, Crane's team. Before we jump in with him, we touched on it a little bit with, with Congressman Gooden as well. Let's just check out the bullet points. So this is the Border Reinforcement Act of 2023. Uh, this is- I, I don't think bullets are uh, um, something we should be using uh, in this <laughs> reference. Uh, um. They need flotation devices for all the people that are drowning <clears throat> in the rivers. Number one, resuming border wall construction seems pretty... Wait, what? Yeah, imagine that. Remember, this is Republican House-sponsored, so this is our team. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Still. Bolstering CBP staffing. Okay. And that says they must hire and train over 22,000 Border Patrol agents, CBP officers, and ICE agents. That's, to, that's to, great, but, I mean, unless they stop doing what's happening, huh? they're just hiring more babysitters. Well, they're only hiring 400 next year anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, well. Missing the mark by just a few Tens of thousands. How many? 400. Mm-hmm. 400. Yes, 400. Okay. Mm-hmm. I believe it's actually 389. Well, but, you know, round up. Make yeah. it sound a little uh, better for the numbers. Modernizing and enhancing technology. Uh, we already know that after the Chinese spy balloon incident, now there's another one apparently that had passed over Hawaii and is on its way to the continental United <laughs> States. <laughs> CBP isn't allowed to use their spy balloons and they're not allowed to use their drone technology as much as they were because it could confuse people that and the think- Biden administration isn't doing their job, not only on the ground at the border, but in the skies as well. That's, that's, that's how they reference like why we're not doing it. Yes. Shortly after it's, the Chinese, it's not to actually keep track of 
No. Shortly Pro- after proper this, numbers of ghetto gotaways and that probably as well. But right after that incident ended last time, they uh, kind that of, was an excuse. Yeah, demanding transparency from DHS. That goes in in accordance with uh, some of the stuff we saw from the whistleblower from HHS last week. We saw Miss Rodas give her testimony up on Capitol Hill, addressing CBP retention. Interesting. How do you address that? I don't know. Apparently, a lot of people who have that job often quit it because of the working conditions. They want to give retention bonuses hmm. for qualified frontline border patrol agents. Yes, they do. Establishes retention bonuses for qualified frontline border patrol agents, CBP officers, and ICE agents who serve a certain number of years of their role in their location to encourage these agents and officers and personnel to remain professionally invested in long-term professional careers. So they just have to wait longer before they quit and go to another agency. Sounds like they're going to just pay you to continue to go to work every day and violate your oath of office. But hey! Yes. Money talks. (laughs) Bullshit walks. Supporting local law enforcement. We all know how in places like New Mexico, Arizona, and especially in Texas with the DPS, they work hand-in-hand with, you know, federal law enforcement down there. And then limiting to eventually eliminating the use of the CBP-1 app. Limiting? Yes. Huh. Because we know right now... How's that that app working out? Well, the, the, the absolute basement of the number of people coming in using the app every month now is 30,000. But we heard over the course of the first couple months, the numbers have gotten over a hundred thousand. When, when, when do we turn off the spigot? That's what I want to know. Like when, when are we actually full? Is it never, is that a never? We're thing? not. We're never full. Mm. Never. They're good. They want, they want more and more and more. This border reinforcement act is all well and good. And they will, the Democrats will spin this around and say, no, you know, the Repu- which is a lie anyway, that the Republicans want to uh, cut funding for Border Patrol, cut funding for law enforcement. They're already talking about, they've already said that they are modernizing and enhancing technology. They're not going to resume border wall construction. And even if this does pass the House and the Senate and gets to Joey Basement's desk, he's it, it's going to be vetoed. And he's out here on Twitter today just saying, that Congress must pass a law restoring Roe v. Wade to kill babies. Ah, if they do, I will sign it. Mm-hmm. So this is great that that the GOP is doing this. Great, but <laughs> hey, we got to start going. somewhere. Listen, You're right. It sounds like there's a lot of hate on this podcast right now, and believe it or not, out Asshole. of out of all the big <laughs> topics that fake news Chuck Todd hit Alejandro Marcus with on Sunday, he actually did ask him why he thinks. <laughs> why do you think all the Border Patrol agents hate you? <laughs> well, they, they didn't like that I had this jacket, let's, for one. Let's see what he actually says. Border Patrol, because the union doesn't like you. Uh, and they make it pretty clear on social media this month uh, and last month, the month before. These are all from Border Patrol, the Border Patrol Union on you. The chickens are going to come home to roost because of what he's done. Oh, show they us call you a national disgrace. <laughs> Remove Mayorkas was their most recent tweet. Uh, how can you lead a group of people whose union wants you out of office? Uh, Chuck. Uh, Chuck, I'm incredibly <laughs> proud to work with the United States Border Patrol. I have supported them vigorously since oh, my first oh, day in oh. office. I will Scissor continue to tambors. do so. A tremendous source of pride. And I will tell you what this. What do you think the disconnect is? Do you think this is, Look at the fucking smile this is media perception? Why, why, do you think, why do you think there is this a political disconnect? Is this a red-blue divide just simply that you're, you're in a Democratic administration? What do you believe it is? Uh, Chuck, I'm focused on mission. Shut That's what I'm up. focused on. Uh, I look at their needs. I try to focus 
fulfill their needs. Needs? Bullshit. <laughs> needs? Uh, check. I said, fuck those putos. Yeah, exactly. Did he ever apologize to the uh, agents that um, got no. exonerated nope. from the whipping mm -mm. incident that nope. wasn't a whipping incident? Of course not. Nope. Yeah, so he can fuck off. Yeah, mm -hmm. when they hit him up with it on, on some of the talk shows, he said, uh, well, I went with the data that was coming from the White House. Right. From the White House. Yeah. Not your The political theater the that was coming from the White House. Okay, listen, you think you wore out the garrison button now. KGP took to the White House press pool yesterday and from the podium talked about transparency and historic <laughs> low numbers of border crossings since the start of the Biden administration. Think I'm joking. Let's hear it. That he's used to, to make sure that we do this. We actually deal with the immigration system in a humane way uh, and in a, in a way that is uh, uh, that actually deals with what we're seeing at the border. Oh. And that's why you've seen the parolee program be so successful. Uh, it has it has um, it has a uh, uh, when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down uh, by more than 90 percent. And that's because of this act, the actions that this president has taken. So the parole program, which is just letting everybody in, yes, no matter what, yes, those numbers have gone down because you're reconstituting what qualifies as an illegal immigration event. That's amazing. No, it's it's not amazing. It's di the most disingenuous fucking bullshit I've ever heard. First of all, it's historic. It's not what historic bullshit. The numbers are transparent. Tra yeah, the numbers are transparent. Yeah, illegal border crossings. There's Illegal border crossings have gone down 90% because we're, Asshole. Now, we're now letting 90% of the people in. It's amazing. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And there's people that are going to be, you know, it's funny because after the, uh, the document scandal with, uh, <laughs> with old Joe, mm. God. I haven't had a whole lot of my, uh, repeat offender visitors in my DMS and Instagram. Well, it, it's good that you mentioned that because we are going to talk about Secretary of State Anthony Blinken now, who was working at the Joe Biden International Center for Global Freedom, where a lot of the classified documents were found while he was whipping. The International Center for Global Documents? The International Center for Money Laundering. Mm. But before we get into him, guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever, and if you missed out on listening to our state-exclusive interview with Donald Trump Jr. yesterday... Uh, make sure you're subscribed, write a review, leave a rating. Helps us get into the algorithms of suggested podcasts that are in of this nature. I mean, I think we're in a class by our own, but we don't want to give them excuses to shadow ban us even more on there. Also across social media is True Social, Twitter, Getter, Instagram. Follow us at the notification bell. Anytime anything pertinent to the show drops, it'll be delivered straight to you. So segueing here to Tony Blinken, it seems that... His wife and Hunter Biden might have had some relations. Mm. Interesting. I well, bet he watched. She tasted the rainbow. <sighs> I bet he watched. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Um, I bet he. I bet he held the pipe for Hunter. Oh, let me hold that for you. <laughs> How great was it when yesterday he, when we asked Don Junior <laughs> if he would fight Hunter Biden <laughs> <laughs> on pay per view? Not only do we get that question in, but Noah actually snuck a garrison in there as well. So <laughs> kudos to our uh, production team, which is Noah essentially, mm. and uh, you know getting the job done there now for the job that Anthony Blinken hasn't done as secretary of state, you know, we just abandoned another U S embassy last week in Sudan. Apparently not take care of his wife either. <clears throat> you know, she's not, she's like a five on a good day. 
So, but Hunter, but like when I threw that tweet out there, the the Kennedy video talking about it on Fox <laughs> News, and then they tried to cut her off and segue to something else. The comments underneath it were just like, I would say eighty percent of the thousands of comments are like, "Is there anybody up on Capitol Hill that this guy hasn't fucked?" <laughs> Literally, <laughs> like his brother's wife, maybe his niece, the Secretary of State's wife. It's just Obama's daughter, maybe. Yes, gross. All the crack whores in D.C. No yellow though. No yellow. Huh? It's on, it's on the laptop, the text messages. Oh, right. When they ask him about the escorts, no yellow. That he does not call shitty walk. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to Secretary of State Blinken here. Jesus. Oh, so now, God. the spies who lied. Going to hell. Issue wasn't his idea, he claims. And he still won't acknowledge that the Hunter Biden laptop was real, even though it's now on the congressional record. Mm-hmm. He sat down for an interview this week, and I pulled a brief snippet of it. Let's hear it. I want to ask about the letter that was written concerning Hunter Biden's laptop uh, that said it was you know, Russian disinformation. Uh, can you explain what your role was in that and if you incentivized it? Good question. Well, first, one of the great benefits of this job okay. is that I uh, don't do politics and uh, don't, uh, don't engage in it. But with regard to, uh, to that letter, um, I didn't, uh, wasn't my idea, didn't ask for it, didn't solicit it, and uh, I think uh, the testimony uh, that um, the former deputy director of the CIA, Mike Morrell, put forward confirms that. Wasn't my idea, didn't ask for it. He's so full of shit. Yes, he is. Yes, he certainly is. So were the 51 intel officers that signed it, right? Same letter? Mm. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask for that letter. Now, I'm in the majority here with Alan, who this is one of the ones where I, I say, well, what's really going to happen? They've already interfered with an election. They completely were able to sweep away an October surprise, which, in, in my opinion, would have turned enough votes, maybe in those swing states, to get Donald Trump over the finish line in 2020. And then there's, like, the part of me that, like, we've exposed so much corruption and revealed well, basically put on the radar so many people that need to be fired when Donald Trump wins back the White House in 2024 that uh, it's almost sometimes good that he didn't get right back in because I think we would have just gone right down the same road of like he didn't have Congress, so they wouldn't be working with him. They would have found new stuff to impeach him on. They said he would have interfered with elections if he would have won re-election in 2020 Mm. and then had public hearings and investigations on that stuff. And uh, instead of, you know, Zooming this back to Tony Blinken and going off the testimony of people like Mike Morrell, what you would have done was uh, say Donald Trump was the one pushing the Hunter Biden laptop to try and sway the election and therefore try to put him in jail for it or impeach him while he's the president. COVID would have never ended. Right. I think the only thing we would have had is no wars and a secure border. Yeah. Uh, the economy's hit or miss because we were coming out of COVID. It looked like it was on the upturn. I mean, inflation was down around like, what, 1.12% when Donald Trump left office. So yes, we would have thought in the business sense, but there's a lot of plus and minuses you have to weigh. I think there's a lot more opportunity to make lasting changes if Donald Trump can win back the White House in 2024. Uh, if we just kind of, you know, accept of what happened in 2020 as a, like they call Donald Trump's first term, a drop in the bucket to expose all the stuff that we need to be addressing um, before we jump on with Congressman Eli Crane, who's live on location out in Arizona, too, right now, I saw Senator Ron Johnson was with, well, he jumped on with Kudlow, who stayed awake for this one. Not like Ted Cruz the other day where he almost fell asleep while Ted Cruz was talking. <laughs> Let's hear him. But now we know 
that he lied to Congress as well. Remember, he was Deputy, Deputy Secretary of State under Obama. Uh, we certainly had interested in interviewing him during our investigation. He canceled that meeting before the election, but because he wanted to be Secretary of State, he did agree to sit down for a transcribed interview in December of 2020, and he lied to us. We asked him point blank, did you communicate with Hunter Biden via text or email? And he said no. Well, now we have emails between Hunter Biden and Anthony Blinken, plus his wife, her name is Evan Ryan, didn't make that connection. She also worked in the State Department. She was basically acting as a conduit using her personal email between Hunter Biden and Anthony Blinken in one case, Ooh. trying to set up a phone call between Blue Star Strategies. This, this is the lobbying forum for Burisma and Anthony Blinken. So again, we're, we're just starting to peel back more and more layers, but it certainly shows that Anthony Blinken, you can't trust a word that comes out of his mouth. He lied to Congress. He set up that massive fraud. He should resign immediately or he should be impeached. Senator Johnson, um, when Mr. Blinken sat down with you, quote unquote, <coughs> was he under oath? Yes, yes. He, he was. He was, under he, oath. Was he was made aware of the fact that lying to Congress is a crime, and he said he had no reason to lie. He had no reason not to be truthful. He was not truthful. He did lie, which calls into question all of his testimony, where he denied talking to Hunter Biden or having any knowledge about his workings with uh, Burisma. So we need to follow up with Anthony Blinken to find out what he really knows. And we need all of his records and his wife's records as well. So it looked like there was at least emails that were trying to set up phone conversations. We all know where that goes between Hunter Biden and, and Secretary of State Blinken's wife at the time. His wife was literally a conduit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll put it to you guys this way. When you're looking at the trouble that these two cabinet member level positions might be in now, there's a lot of, let's call it, connective tissue. <laughs> and we're going to keep tracking this story. But right now we're getting ready to jump in with Congressman Eli Crane. But before we do, let's hear from one of our partners. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the congressman who's representing Arizona's 2nd Congressional District, one of our great friends. We're so excited to have him back, Mr. Eli Crane. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. How's everything been going with you, Congressman? You've been quite busy out there, uh, not only up on Capitol Hill, but when you're back in district, it seems like you're all over the place meeting with the constituents and, and finding out uh, just exactly what the biggest concerns they have are and the ones they'd like to see addressed up in Washington, D.C., yeah, we've definitely tried to stay busy. You know, I definitely have a lot to learn as a freshman in Congress, and uh, I'm doing my best to learn as much as I can in D.C. and also um, learn as much as I can while I'm in the district. We have a massive district, and uh, we have a lot of unique challenges, so uh, that takes a lot of uh, getting around and a lot of study. 
well, there's a ton of stuff that we'd like to cover with you today. Namely, the big win that Republicans had last week in passing the Limit Save Grow Act. There was some concerns that it might not be able to pass the House, but Speaker McCarthy and the House Republicans were able to get it and move it on to the Senate, hopefully eventually to Joe Biden's desk, which is drastically going to reduce spending in the near future and over and up to a, a time period of 10 years in the trillions of dollars. So a huge win for you guys, which immediately led to attacks coming out uh, from the White House against it. Basically, it looks like Joe Biden's re-election campaign platform is going to say everything that you guys have fought them against in stopping the bad economy, the bad border, uh, reckless spending, uh, geopolitics, you name it. They're going to say that they've been awesome on and then say you guys want to make worse in Joe Biden's next term. I saw the White House press secretary, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, she took to the podium on Friday during the White House press pool and uh, actually gave a little teaser on just what I'm talking about. Let's hear her. It's clear that the Speaker's bill breaks House Republicans' commitment to America. In the run-up to the 2022 election, House Republicans promised to put cops on the beat. Instead, they're fighting to put fentanyl on the street by defunding Border Patrol. Their proposal makes clear that only things House Republicans are committed to giving to Americans are increased crime lower economic growth, and more manufacturing jobs set back to China. The Speaker's position is that unless the President and the Senate agree to that job-killing, cost-increasing, anti-farm, anti-healthcare, anti-education agenda, they're going to... Well, that, that's pretty much the gist of it, Congressman. I saw you, uh, for all our listenership out there, he immediately dropped his head when he talked about defunding the Border Patrol. And uh, KGP did her best job at, uh, you know, the word salad that they're dishing out there on, on a daily basis. When, when you hear that that's going to be the message from the regime, uh, you know, speaking to the American people, a message that's seen on television by hundreds of thousands of people a day, how do you respond to that? I mean... It's it's almost laughable if it wasn't so sad. I mean, uh, you know, these these folks are great at destroying the country. Um, they're also great at gaslighting the American people. And I'm just I'm waiting for the day, the week, the hour that Amer American people um, actually start tuning in and paying attention and connecting the dots um, between um, the reality on the ground, how much worse their lives have gotten under this administration. Um, and, and the policies that this administration has put forward to um, create that reality. And so, you know, it, this won't change until the American people um, start taking this seriously. I, I know that's hard because politics has become so polarized that a lot of people just tune it out. They don't want the negativity. They don't want it. They don't want to hear hear it. They just want to live their lives. And unfortunately, it's going to require the American people to actually start doing some uh, math um, and, and open their eyes to um, the policies um, that have caused what we're dealing with right now. And if they're if they're content, if they're fine being lied to um, and they go along with it, then we'll continue to get, you know, we'll continue to get more of the same. Yeah, you make an excellent point there. I mean. The silent majority back when President Trump won his first election was a huge component. There was a, such a, you know, after exit polling showed that the independents, the Democrat walkaways and the Republican moderates who may have felt weary about, you know, ushering him into the White House in his first term is something that we're going to definitely have to retap and reharness moving into uh, the 2024 presidential election cycle because... 
we all know that Joe Biden's not really doing anything as far as like running the country. But when you talk about the radical progressives who are around him, you have, you know, all the people who are causing uh, chaos amongst like racial diversity, the the culture wars, and, and then, you know, you have the reckless spending and, and the climate mafia. You put all that stuff together and it just is a recipe for disaster for the country. Everybody from how their children have been affected educationally in school all the way up to your 401k has been pretty much decimated over the course of just the last two and a half years. And it's the next two years uh, heading into the the general election that we're really going to have to work hard to make sure that, uh, you know, bills like this are the start of where we could potentially get this country on, back on the right track in 2024. No, you're right. I mean, uh, it's interesting. One of the things that uh, we, we've been dealing, the Republican Party has been dealing with is the lies and misrepresentation coming out of this administration about, um, you know, how this bill um, strips um, and, and cuts veteran benefits and veteran services. I don't know if you've been following any of those stories, but um, you know we jumped on a conference call yesterday, Sunday afternoon, after I got back from uh, church with my family to uh, talk to a bunch of folks in the press about it. And this is what these people do. I mean, it was wasn't a couple months ago they were telling you that Republicans were going after um, Medicare and Social Security. Um, this is the same administration that will lie to your face and tell you they have operational control over the southern border. Um, this is the same administration that, you know, you have the commander in chief, the president saying that he, he knew nothing and never talked to his son about any of his business deals. And we know they're all lies. Right. But this is what they do. And they're able to get away with it, I think, largely in part because they have the media um, to give them air cover for their lives, but lies, but also because, like I said, the American people are complacent and they're checked out and they're not really paying attention. And so they just they just grab a couple sound bites from CNN or MSNBC or wherever they you know get their news and they don't actually do any research um, and, and really pay attention and do the math like I keep talking about. So um, and on that issue of, uh, you know, veteran veteran benefits, Republicans going after those things. 77% of the uh, veterans um, in, in the House actually voted for this uh, legislation. And if you read the 320 pages of legislation, the words veteran and veteran benefits aren't even listed in that. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable to me sometimes what these folks are allowed to get away with. And, 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 and also their arrogance and just brazen, they do it yeah. without bad. I, I don't know how you do that. But um, they're they're actually really good at it. Yeah, they've uh, turned it into a craft, and they had the you know first two terms of Barack Obama to work on it before a lot of the retreads who are in this administration just continue uh, more of the same. I do want to stick in, in, in the military veteran service kind of thread, but I'm going to segue a little bit, Congressman. So you're pushing to make military service and, and career opportunities great again. You have a big event coming up this weekend on the 6th. You and your uh, congressional counterpart, Andy Biggs, uh, you know, regarding this topic, do you want to tell our listenership a little bit about what you guys got going on? Yeah, so this weekend uh, we're going to be uh, hosting an event for uh, young men and women who are looking at going into the service academies. Uh, it's supposed to be educational and informative for them. Um, and so we're really looking forward to that. Um, you know, my younger brother actually got a commission in the Naval Academy by, and he started by going to one of these events. And so uh, we're going to do our part in making sure that uh, the young men and women here uh, across Arizona are, you know, able to go and learn about the process, what they need to do, 
um, what individuals are looking for in, the, in their resume um, so that they can uh, continue to improve themselves um, professionally um, and socially so that they have a good shot at becoming leaders in our nation's armed forces. And as you know, with um, everything going on in the world right now, um, we're going to need um, the next generation to step up and make sure um, that, you know, America is uh, protected and that we have strength in the midst of a lot of global chaos. Uh, it's awesome that you guys are hosting that event. It probably won't be the last one as well moving forward. And, uh, you know, just your involvement in, in, in trying to bring in new faces and uh, people who are potentially looking at careers in the military is something that uh, we don't see enough of around right now. And, and if you guys are going to start that in Arizona uh, beginning again this weekend, it's Saturday. Uh, if you're local there, you should get out and try to get into it. If it's a career you're looking to get into and uh, definitely be supporting these guys as they're trying to, uh, you know, repopulate and, and, and replenish our, our military who has been missing recruiting numbers due to the policies and stuff, uh, you know, with the Biden administration. But, uh, you know, we do need strong servicemen and women in there who are going to be, you know, the protectors of our homeland, which is, you mentioned border security a few minutes ago, Congressman. I do kind of want to segue there. The Homeland uh, Security Committee, it got out of committee last week and passed the Border Reinforcement Act of 2023. Now, What's going on on the southern border has been the worst we have ever seen in the history of our country. Uh, potentially, it's going to get worse in just a few weeks here when uh, Title 42 is lifted. You know, there's anywhere from 1.2 to 3 million more migrants who are making their way up to the U.S. southern border. And, uh, you know, places like Texas and New Mexico, but especially Arizona, have been hit hardest by, you know, this influx of migrants that Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas have invited up here over the course of the last couple of years. What can you say about getting that bill out of committee and now as it's moving closer to a, a full floor vote, what, what, what are the potential ramifications of, uh, you know, slowing things down by getting a bill like this passed? Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's a very important piece of legislation. And uh, in, this is one of those times where I'm happy to report that the uh, members and reps that have been up there a lot longer than me um, have told myself and others that this is the strongest border um, bill they've ever seen pushed through the House. I'm on the Homeland Security Committee, so we're dealing with the uh, wall and the infrastructure side of things, the actual border security side of things. And then the judiciary is pushing the immigration um, you know, side of things. So we're working in tandem. And uh, I hear really good things about this, uh, this border bill. One thing I want to talk about is we did have a uh, we did have a Homeland Security Committee last week in the House. It started at 10 in the morning. It did not get done till 3 the next morning. Wow. The Democrats did a very good job um, in you know, just ramming amendment after amendment after amendment. But one of the things I want to talk about is um, the messaging for the American people. Um, one of the things that one of my colleagues brought up, guys, was uh, they talked about what he said. One of my colleagues said, show me anywhere in our religious texts that talk about us turning our backs on our neighbors. And that's clearly something that our Democratic colleagues do all the time um, in trying to pull heartstrings of American citizens. And I, I replied to him when I got a chance to talk. I said, hey, um, I can't show you that text anywhere in the Bible or in any relig other religious text, but what I can you know, talk to you about is uh, the book of uh, Nehemiah or the story of Nehemiah where Nehemiah was, you know, completely sick because the walls and the gates of Jerusalem had been destroyed and because he knew it made his people and God's people vulnerable. And so I think it's important that, you know, it when 
the American public and those listening to your shows are, you know, having these debates and these discussions out in town with other people because we know messaging and narrative is so important. That's a good that's a good argument for you guys to turn to. It is the responsibility of our government to protect not only our God-given unalienable rights, but also protect our citizens, and we are not doing that. Yeah, when you look at it right now, and, and you know, you had the uh, HHS whistleblower up on Capitol Hill last week. We did an extensive segment on that as we've been tracking, you know, a lot of stuff. We've got so many correspondents who come in who work along the border. Obviously, a lot of the congressmen in, in border states. Um, Congressman Goodens, uh, you know, was in the show earlier today talking about that as well. What's going on? You know, when you see Alejandro Mayorkas do three shows on the Sunday morning news circuit, uh, just a few days ago, and the big questions that they're asking him are, why do the Border Patrol agents hate you? You know, yeah. he, he and they have no interest in talking about what's really going on down there. The numbers are astronomical. The getaways are even worse. But when you talk about the components of uh, the, the you know, slavery aspect, the, the sexual, uh, you know, stuff that's going on with the women and children who are being, you know, trafficked up there on, on a regular basis, you had the... Apparently there was a shootout close to the border over the weekend, uh, you know, that's being not really talked about too much in the mainstream media. And so many Border Patrol agents have been hurt this year, uh, shot this year. You know, just at the end of last year, there was a water interdiction where a Border Patrol agent was shot dead, um, you know, with smugglers trying to bring stuff into the United States off the coast of Florida. And, and we just don't really want to address the problems are, uh, you know, the immigration system right now. And the fact of the matter is, if you can't stop the flood that's coming across the border, you can't even get on to the next topics, which would be talking about how to reform the immigration system and make it more streamlined and make it to where the asylum cases are actually asylum cases. And it's not just all economic migrants and people, you know, looking to live off the U.S. government. So as these bills continue to pass and as Democrats continue to drag their feet. We hope that, you know, things like what happened last week with the Border Homeland Security, uh, the Border Reinforcement Act of 2023 continues to make its way through Congress and, and we could really, you know, get to ground zero of starting what we need to do to get this uh, border locked down at some point in the near future. No, I agree with you. I actually got a chance to uh, um, speak to Secretary Mayorkas in a committee hearing um, a couple weeks ago and, you know, Unfortunately, because of my uh, status as a freshman, I had to go last. Um, but uh, I did get a chance to uh, light into him, and I, you know, it, it wasn't. I had I had no questions for him because I desired to be. Um, but I did, you know, tell him if uh, the heads of the cartels were in in that committee hearing the other day that um, they would not only they would not only commit for his work. Uh, and, and want him to be rehired, but they would probably declare him the MVP, uh, you know, of their organization on the spot because he most certainly isn't securing the border. And it's it, it's so crazy. Just like Jean Pierre, you know, these folks have the audacity to sit there and lie to you right to your face and yeah. tell you that they're doing a good job when the data and the statistics clearly show um, that they're not, and that you know everything from ms-13 gang members to members on the terror watch list being encountered at the southern border to fentanyl um, coming through and fentanyl deaths are spiking radically they'll sit there and lie to your face and tell you they're doing a great job and then they'll ask you for more money and they they sit here and they gaslight you and they ask you for 
money saying that that's what's really needed and border patrol agents will tell you that's not what we need we need to enforce the laws on the books you guys need to let us do our job and let us actually you know um, turn turn these people turn these people back and uh basically when they get more money what they're doing is they're just processing they're using american tax dollars to process more people into this country and it's uh it's to me it's sick it really is yeah, it is. And, and, you know, when you talk about more money, they want the money to be able to fund the processing centers to house all the people briefly before they release them into the interior of the United States. And when you talk about the numbers just alone, Congressman, if people really knew the amount of, let's just say, Chinese and Russian nationals, single fighting age men that have come across this border in the last two and a half years under Joe Biden's administration, uh, countries that, you know, both sides are saying are, are, are no allies to the United States, it would raise eyebrows, to say the least. This has been great sitting down with you today. We always love having you on the show. Obviously, we'll be looking forward to having you back again at any point in the near future. Um, we're going to live link your congressional website in the show today. But for anyone that's not following you, Congressman, and want to track all the great works you're doing, where can we check you out? Um, yeah, if you go to if you go to uh, you know our congressional website, that's a great place to do it. We're also on social media. Rep Eli Crane, uh, if they want to follow us there. And then my personal uh, social media is uh, Eli Crane CEO. So please come follow us there. And uh, thanks, guys, for oh, letting us be on. Thank you. This is a, this congressman's out here working for the American people. Listen, once you subscribe to his social media, as you know what I'm talking about, whether it's driving out to talk to the uh, the heads of the Native American communities out in Arizona all the way up to, uh, you know, the great work he's doing in committees. Uh, we, we hope it's an example that a lot of the other congressmen up there on Capitol Hill are taking the, uh, you know, lead on and, and move towards pushing back on, on, you know, the radical stuff that's going on right now with Joe Biden and his administration that's going to get this country back on the right track. This is the uh, representative who's working in Arizona, too, Congressman Eli Crane. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. The most immediate thing we can do is ensure the continued reliance of our economy and the financial system. The most important thing we have to do in that regard is to make sure the threat by the Speaker of the House to default on the national debt is off the table. For over 200 years, America has never, ever, ever failed to pay its debt. To put in the capital and colloquial terms, never. America is not a deadbeat nation. Mm. We have never, ever failed to meet the debt. Now, as a result, one of the most respected nations of the world, we pay our bills, and we should do so without reckless hostage-taking from some of the mega-Republicans in Congress. Oh, God. Well... First off, it was great catching up with Congressman Eli Crane. It's always good to hear him. He's one of the hardest working guys in the freshman class, and, mm -hmm. and we're, we're really thankful that he took time to join us today. Secondly, that was Joe Biden talking about the Limit Grow Save Act, which House Republicans were able to pass without using all of their members last week and send up to the Senate. Um, that kind of combats Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer holding House Republicans hostage, saying that their numbers were so small they were never going to be able to make something like this happen. There was a lot of speculation that, you know, this was going to be where the, where the Republicans lose the momentum they've had since the beginning of the year and Speaker McCarthy be, started to become targeted publicly as delegitimate, not being able to get the job done. And they pretty much did it on the first vote. It's like a lot of people have alluded to, not perfect. But it is where we get these people. I mean, Chuck Schumer said it was never going to happen. He even said, you know, in a tweet late last week, if a bill like this ever appears on the Senate floor, it's DOA. 
Well, guess what? Now if you don't pass it in the Senate, especially with some of those moderate Democrats and independents up for re-election, I'm thinking Cinema and Manchin off top. I mean, Joe Manchin's already down anywhere between 15 and 30 points to Jim Justice in, in West Virginia and Kristen Cinema's running in a three-way race with, you know, a Democrat and whoever the Republicans decide to run in uh, Arizona. Sheriff Lamb's already announced, but we don't know if Blake Masters, maybe Carrie Lake are going to get in the race as well. Now, it seems like the Republicans can use all the ammo that they've stored on Democrats who don't want to, if they don't do anything to negotiate this, it's going to look like that they want to default on the debt. And it's pretty damning. I mean, I know Joe Biden used the actual term. What do we? What did he say? We're not a deadbeat nation. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, his son, believe it or not, was in court yesterday. Hunter Biden. Tail of the tape. Deadbeat dad. There you go. That's exactly what it was for. He was in court yesterday for not paying child support to a former stripper he fathered a child with while on a crack smoking <laughs> bender a few years ago. Can you imagine? And and if that was Don, one of Donald Trump's kids. Well, oh, forget it. I'm alluding to that. We had Don Jr. on yesterday. If it was. Donald Trump Jr. or Eric, this story would be the lead on every cable news program in America. But because it was Joe Biden's, I checked CBS, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. Seven minutes total was dedicated to this. Total. Total. Like combined. And believe it or not, it came from Fox News. Yeah, it was uh, not not the the greatest of coverage, to say the least. They would have our specials if it was Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump. Yeah, it would be 24 hours, like ticker tape at the bottom oh just imagine like the dark room the chair uh the the girl and then the kid sitting right there and it'd be like you know uh they'd have maury dana bash <laughs> dana bash it would be the la- the old lady from 60 minutes it would be somebody and they'd be like so th- so this is the child yes look at her she's a beautiful child <laughs> this is the child that that donald trump refuses to call his granddaughter that that donald trump jr refuses to acknowledge she lives Yes. How does this make you feel? Well, you know, we just we just want to be part of the family. And it would be over mm. and over and over again. We've heard it so many times, the yeah. double standard. Not to mention the press that would have been at the courthouse for oh, that gosh. court date would have been, I mean, you know, you would have had press trucks for, for miles if it was Donald Trump Jr. I, I, just, I, I just, the only thing I can think of is the fact that so many people don't know this stuff is happening. And if it was... If it was more visible, people would see that it's a total, it's weighted just the, the wrong direction. Yep. Oh, you're right. Speaking of wrong directions, mm. House Minority Leader, in actual job context, has nothing to do with the color of his skin. Hakeem Jeffries <laughs> was complaining yesterday that Nancy Pelosi was bullied into, I think, three times. Drinking more wine? Close, negotiating on the debt ceiling. No. <laughs> and now Republicans kind of got this bill passed by whipping a half dozen Democrats who know they're they're up for re-election in their congressional districts in 2024, and he's not happy. Let's hear it. House Democrats worked with former President Trump three times to make sure we avoided a default and raised the debt ceiling. Without partisanship, without showmanship, without gamesmanship. And that's what the extreme MAGA Republicans should be doing right now. Of course. And as we've indicated, we will have a conversation with House Republicans about the budget, about future spending 
priorities about which type of investment should be made to continue to have a strong and robust American economy into the future. We are willing to have that conversation. President Biden has produced a budget. House Republicans produced a ransom note. Oh that is what the Default on America Act is, and that is wildly irresponsible. That's what they're calling it, the <laughs> default on America. They always take the most like pointed, racial, biased thing possible yes. and say, listen, here's, here's some of the stats. I saw a poll this weekend on, on CBS Sunday Morning. Uh, we already know because we've talked to several economists over the course of the last you know half year or so who can confirm almost 70% of Americans, it might actually be a little bit over 70% now, food, fuel, and shelter are using an entirety yeah. of their earnings for that. Nothing else. Now I saw a stat this weekend that is a like cross-tab for that poll. 47% of Americans polled, and I believe it was like 1,500 legal voters, all parties, have skipped a meal to make sure that they could pay for that food, fuel, or shelter. Sure. Listen, I, I know people, literally, through this past winter that stretched their home heating oil so they could skip a delivery because of the price of groceries and gas for their car in order to get to their work because they work 20, 30 miles away from their home mm -hmm. where they they didn't heat their home and uh, even skipped meals so that they could get to work to pay to heat their home. Like it's, it's, it's wild. Like I know, I know actually two families that have done that. And one of them, because they did that, their pipes froze, broke, and destroyed their home. Oh, mother. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yes. And because of that, their insurance company did not pay for the damage because, because they, did it. they failed to, re to retain heat in their home mm. because they couldn't afford it. They have four small children. They both work long distances, and that's what they had to do. They ran out of oil, and then it caused... Over fifty thousand dollars worth of damage to their kitchen, bathroom, and living space. And now they're just that out. they were then denied, denied coverage for. Hmm. And I mean, everybody's feeling it in some context. Places that have more, you know, we're, we're in Southern California. More severe winters are definitely feeling it in the wallet more than than we did this past winter. But you know, just living in one of the top three highest inflation states historically in the country, it's been killer. Yeah, I was riding my motorcycle to work in the rain. Yeah, you were. And, you know, I saw the editor-in-chief of the National Pulse, Raheem Kassam, uh, he put, threw out a tweet this morning. It said $105 at the checkout for less than five days of food for one person. He's like, this is unsustainable. I tell you what, for everybody listening now, I have a family of four, three dogs. We feed our dogs people food. We, we meal prep for our dogs. If, if I get out of the grocery stores and that's a combination of going to like two or three places that, you know, you try to get like the best deals possible. Oh, I can't be bothered to go to more than one place. If I, if I could get out of there per week, $350, then that's a, that's win, a win for me. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Sometimes we'll go to one store and, and it'll be $350 and we're walking out. My wife's like, what the fuck did you buy? I was like, look. Well, I guess we're done. Six bags of whatever. Yeah. And usually when we go to the grocery store, I'm not talking about buying in bulk to stock up. I mean, we do that kind of on the side and as we go along, stuff for the freezer, but, uh, you know, canned goods and stuff, water, but 
that stuff that we buy, 350 bucks a week, and it's gone in five days. Mm. I mean, my kids are extremely active. They're always playing sports. They're young and in school. Uh, and I can, can only imagine if if I was a child in this particular time period. Like, I remember the shit that I used to eat. Like, I would drink, like, a gallon of milk when I got home from fucking school. Eat a whole fucking uh, jar of peanut butter and crackers and milk and just freaking own that thing. You did that now. In this day and age, you catch a beating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's tough. And, and, you know, the American families are definitely feeling it. That's why I think it was so critical to get this bill out of the House and even as a starting point for negotiations uh, with the president and, and the Senate, get that ball rolling. Guys, just a reminder, wherever you're listening today, Apple, Spotify, Google, make sure you subscribe to the show. Also across social media is Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, Instagram. Follow the show. Anything we put out there will be delivered to you then. Make sure you hit that notification bell as well. We're going to be talking about some of the reckless spending stuff that's been going on with retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor in just a bit. But I saw yesterday Senator Ted Cruz jumped on with Maria and was talking about how Republicans are kind of getting the job done in the House, and now it's going to be up to the rest of the federal government to not hold the American people hostage. So let's see how that went down. Be up to Chuck Schumer whether to bring it up for a vote. I don't know if Schumer's going to or not. Uh, you know, I got to say, I, I want to commend House Republicans. They have demonstrated bold leadership. They brought the conference together. It wasn't easy. There are lots of different factions. They have a very narrow majority in the House, and yet the House Ted came Cruz together. Like House conservatives played an active trailer. role in drafting <laughs> this bill, and this bill takes major steps to reining in spending. It takes major steps to reining in the regulations that are killing jobs across this country. It takes major steps to getting people back to work. This bill is an exercise in being responsible. And Maria, I got to say, the contrast could not be starker. The Republicans in the House are responsible. And Joe Biden, what is he saying? He's saying, I will not talk. I will not negotiate. I will not give in on anything, mm. anyhow, any way. And what is happening is Joe Biden is gambling. <laughs> Joe Biden needs to stop playing roulette with the American economy and with the Ameri American credit limit. What is happening here, yeah. there, there is one person on planet Earth that can ensure we will never, ever, ever have a default. That person's name is Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. Mm. Why is that? Because every month, the federal government takes in more in tax revenue than we have in expenditures, which means mm. we can always service our debt. And here's what a responsible president would say. Joe Biden would look at the TV camera and say, America will never default on our debt. We will always pay the interest on the debt. You can count on that. Yeah. But he doesn't want to say that. Why? Because he wants to fear monger. He wants to scare the equity markets. He wants to scare the bond markets. And what he is doing right now is wildly irresponsible. Yeah. Well, we'll you know, I don't know if you guys saw, but another major bank collapsed this weekend. Oh, good. Yeah, so that's pretty normal. And, you know, Alan teased it. Uh, we, we heard that, you know, 1,500 more troops are being deployed to the U.S. southern border ahead of the end of Title 42. So things are looking up and up. I heard, I did see now, and this, this might be a win. You guys are probably, this is the most unlikely of duos as well. America First House Representative Matt Gates and oh, yeah. the Congresswoman from New York. AOC. Horseface. Mm -hmm. They've introduced a bill that will ban members of Congress from both owning and trading stocks. No, what do you think? Perfect. Mm, Alan? Yeah, it, it, it needs to happen. It's an, it's an interesting duo that's doing it, mm -hmm. but 
I think it just shows the there is a chance for uh, bipartisan legislation for both sides to work together, even though AOC is a complete waste of halfway decent. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not that kind of show. <laughs> there you go. You know what kind of show we are, though? We, we do promote narratives that have, well, we all understand. Tail of the tape, Byron Donalds. He said it several times. 6'2", 275, African-American, ain't scared of shit. Mm. He stepped into the belly of the beast with Lion Chuck Todd to talk about the Limit Grow Save Act. And uh, it went just about as great as you would think. Let's hear it. Of course. I think he's going to do a good job for our conference in getting the best thing possible for the American people. Like, all right, but, and, but, but, yeah. Hold on, hold on okay. real quick, Chuck. Real quick, Chuck. Ahead. Let's not leave out Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer's been out there running his mouth, Ooh. talking about how our plan was dead on arrival. But I'll ask you, Chuck, do you have 50 votes or 60 votes for a clean debt ceiling? The answer is no. You don't have those votes. If you had them, you would have brought it already. So I think it's time yeah. for Chuck Schumer, Kevin Byron McCarthy, Joe Biden to get in a room, <laughs> sit down, yeah. and figure out ways that we can actually responsibly take care of our spending and then also raise the debt ceiling because the markets will tell you it's not just congress's ability to raise the debt ceiling it's congress's ability to get their fiscal house in order in the short intermediate and long term and you know the best part about that is chuck schumer was saying ahead of this bill passing late last week oh yeah we're just going to roll out a clean debt ceiling bill and we'll, we'll we'll get it passed in the senate and we'll kick it down to the house and then they could play with it and never pass it they don't have the votes and, you know, after he said that this thing was going to be DOA, uh, they, they quickly quieted down over the course of the weekend. And you didn't really see any uh, people in the Democrat Party, especially in the Senate out there, talking about how much of a, a big L this was. Um, I guess it goes for the people who say, with such a small majority in the House, what can they really do? If anything, this is a good first step. And we're going to continue to track that as we always do. And, uh, you know, as this story develops, we've got about, Janet Yellen said, less than five weeks now until we hit the default, see where this goes. I'm, I'm sure negotiations are going to be heating up soon as the Senate Democrats scatter to try and get back ahead of this narrative. We're going to be jumping in right now with Colonel McGregor. Can't wait to hear all the updates from Ukraine and China. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com. That's MyPatriotCigars.com. A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a retired Army colonel, one of our favorite guests. He's giving us the inside scoop on all things geopolitics. Colonel Douglas McGregor, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Sure, happy to be here. Always a pleasure hosting, sir. Well, you know, I've noticed a a little bit, Ukraine hasn't been being talked about in the news as much lately because actual reports from you know close to the ground and the front lines are saying that the ukrainians are continuing to incur big losses in places like bakhmut and things that you told us about virtually months ago are seeming to come to fruition right now we've also heard reports that you know even though we've given so much and the world has given so much ammunitions and and things of that nature to ukraine they're running at them as well and for a war that they should be 
virtually winning on, on every level, according to the mainstream media, it doesn't seem to necessarily be the case. Gee, you haven't left me anything to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think the lesson is that you can suppress the truth only so long, and ultimately the battlefield will reveal the truth, and that's what we're hearing. We're over 300,000 dead Ukrainian soldiers. That's not including the civilians that are probably killed and wounded as a result of the fighting. Uh, the Ukrainians have lost roughly 10,000 armored fighting vehicles, including self-propelled guns and tanks and other kinds of uh, equipment. And uh, we've lost, uh, at least to this point, at least $70 billion of the $118 billion allocated for Ukraine. And I don't know how many Americans, Germans, uh, Frenchmen, Brits in uh, NATO uniform who've been operating in Ukrainian staffs and organizations have been killed. We won't know that for a long time, but I'm sure we've had several casualties. But the bottom line is the whole thing is falling apart. And I don't know where they're going to get a counterattack from, especially after the last 48 hours. Uh, the Russians destroyed nine Ukrainian brigade headquarters, 200 tons of ammunition, and uh, wiped out a substantial portion of whatever remained of uh, Ukraine's air defense network. So... Once the mud dries, right now, if you're in Ukraine and you step off the road, you sink up to your waist or chest in mud. Oof. If you're in a tank or an armored fighting vehicle, you sink. Nothing moves. But I suppose once that finally dries out, and we still have rain at the moment in Ukraine, the Russians will come out uh, and uh, walk over the remaining dead and march further west. Where do you see an endgame for Russia in this? Obviously, we know at some point they'll they'll get to the negotiation table to try to make it, you know, uh, what is it, put lipstick on a pig as best as possible. Ukraine will still be winning for all things Western democracy-wise, and even though Russia is still going to get their historically old geographical territories, they're taking the biggest loss in the history, you know, since World War II. And you know, once that happens, what is the reality of, of how this area is going to be reshaped, especially, you know, you had the NATO chief in the last two weeks make his first trip to Kiev since the conflict started and said it doesn't matter if all the NATO members want it or not. The rest of the world wants Ukraine to be in NATO, so that's pretty much the end game for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like uh, my favorite expression is put a happy face on the dead rat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, right now the policy of waging war at the expense of the Ukrainian nation against Russia hasn't worked. It's failed miserably. Well, how will this end? Well, it'll end when the Russians decide to end it. I think what they've been waiting for is that they know we won't talk to them and that anything we say is going to be treated with extreme suspicion. Remember, we're the ones that uh, urged them to join the Minsk uh, talks and agreements. We promised them that uh, we would deliver on equality before the law for the millions of Russians living in Ukraine and speaking Russian that uh, effectively the Russians would, would ultimately end up in a situation where Ukraine would not represent a threat to them. The opposite has happened, so they're not going to talk to us. But I think they've been waiting to see governments in Europe turn over, and I think that's coming. I think if you look at what's happening in France right now with Macron, uh, I wouldn't give a plugged nickel for Macron in another month. I'd be surprised if he's still there. Uh, the British are... They'll lose the current prime minister and find something new, and they'll go through governments until that economy collapses. Yep. The real question is what happens in Berlin with Schultz, who is probably the most uninteresting, unimaginative, and unimpressive 
leader Germany has had, certainly in the last thousand years that I can re recollect. So they they may be willing to talk to the Europeans. Now, what do the Russians want? Well, they want a Ukraine that's not a threat to Russia, just as we would like a Mexico that's not a threat to us. Correct. Uh, I don't know how they'll get it uh, without marching all the way to the Polish border. And I think increasingly in Moscow, that's what people are talking about. They don't want to, because I don't think the Russians want to govern real Ukrainians. And the majority of real Ukrainians, those that are left, are west of the river. Right. Most of the people east of the river of the Dnieper are Russified, as they say. In other words, they speak Russian, culturally they're Russian. And if you looked at uh, the electoral maps for years... They were quite willing to join Russia. So the bottom line is, what do they do about the people in the West? They'd like them to be neutral. Who's going to guarantee that? We're, we're certainly not going to guarantee it. So it's up to the countries that border Russia and primarily Germany and France to sign on for something that guarantees that the neutrality of this uh, sort of rump Ukrainian state. But there's another problem, and this is one that you hinted at when you asked your question. What happens to Ukraine? I mean, we know that Larry Fink at BlackRock and his friends all thought that they were going to cash in big time, buy up everything that was left in Ukraine and exploit the the region and the population forever. That's not going to happen now. It looks like Xi has offered to uh, help rebuild the place, provided Zelensky will come to terms with the Russians. But Zelensky can't really do that without probably being hanged himself for doing so. He certainly can't do it without our support. There are probably 18 million people left in Ukraine at this point. There were originally 30.5 million, uh, 34.5 million. And if you go back to the early 1990s, there were over 80 million people living in the place. Right. So there's not much of Ukraine left. It's in ruins. Its population is left. And everybody coming out of the place insists they'll never go back. Mm -hmm. So we've destroyed Ukraine. Well done, Washington. <laughs> while the rest of Europe looks on. And, oh, by the way, don't worry about Ukraine anymore because it's time to prepare for war with China. That is the next uh, thing I wanted to segue on. It seems like as you know, people at the highest levels of our government and all of the big lobbyists in the military-industrial complex seem to get tired with this new shiny thing. You know, Zelensky's not going to be making any trips back to Congress to drape Ukrainian flags over the speaker's lectern and things like that. I've actually seen a couple editorials over the course of the last few weeks that, uh, you know, if Zelensky doesn't play his card right and get in line by the summer, there's people who saying that he could be subject to his own you know, U.S.-induced coup like they did back in 2014 uh, when the group that would eventually come in and take power that led to his rise came in there. So now we're seeing all the Sunday morning talk shows this week said, oh, guess what? Now we need to prepare for war with China. There wasn't really any new developments. China does what they kind of do, their military drills, their testing missiles and rockets and equipment and stuff like that. They buzz the towers off the coast of Taiwan and didn't really seem like anything big. And, and the last time you were here, you kind of laid it out really nicely, saying how there are people who see both sides of the coin in China and Taiwan. There's more backroom talks between those two nations probably than with the United States. But now it seems like the West just wants to stoke the flames to distract everybody's attention to their last failed war to a potentially new one. What can you tell us about that? Well, as I think we were talking earlier, uh, if you've failed to win a single war in decades, what's the problem with adding yet another potentially failed war to the list. <laughs> so I guess that's the justification or rationale for adding China. Look, the people in Washington want to keep the money flowing. Anything that threatens to stop the money from flowing. And I'm talking about 
money for everything you can think of, whether it's for entitlement programs or it's uh, military programs. And remember, as long as you have forces spread all over the world, that's an enormous justification for spending. I mean, it costs us enormous quantities of money to maintain forces at sea, forces in Europe, forces in Asia, forces in Africa, forces in the Caribbean. All of these things uh, must continue to sustain this enormous overhead of wasteful bureaucracy and politicians that we've created in D.C. Right. So clearly that's that's a big part of it. But I think Americans need to understand there's really no evidence whatsoever for any aggressive action on the ground or at sea by the Chinese military against us. Certainly nothing planned to go after uh, Taiwan. That's that's absurd. And if you know anything about Taiwan, most of the island is uh, mountainous. Yep. And there are only maybe one or two beaches where you can comfortably land. This place is still 100 miles uh, of water away from China. The last thing the Chinese need right now is a war. One out of every Chinese male under the age of 30 and over the age of 18 is out of work. Xi can't produce enough employment. The shadow banking uh, structure has been er largely erased, so credit is drying up in China. The expansion is over. That's why Xi has been concentrating power, not to deal with us, although he, he has to defend against us in his mind. His biggest problem is inside China. Look, you got 1.4 billion people. Michael Ferber likes to say there are, what, four or five versions of the United States inside China. Yeah. Every morning, Xi wakes up, and what's his principal nightmare? Dynastic change that he'll be overthrown internally by hundreds of millions of starving, unhappy people. Uh, that's what he worries about. So he's worried about feeding everybody, protecting everybody, and housing everybody. That's a tough job when you got four, 1.4 billion people. I don't think he's got much time left over for anything else. No, and there were there were definitely talks uh, earlier in the spring before his reelection that there was some dis dissent and unhappiness within the uh, government of China towards his leadership and when it came to taking care of things domestically instead of, you know, extending the tentacles of the CCP throughout the course of the world. Colonel, last thing I wanted to ask you, I, we haven't touched on it too much with you, you know, domestic politics here. Does anybody in the 2024 general election cycle that's running right now, especially in the Republican primary, when it comes to their foreign policy, have something that, you know, brings to the table uh, ideals that's going to, uh, you know, kind of get this war footing that we've fallen back into under the Biden administration back on track? Other than Donald Trump, no. Uh, Donald Trump has taken the same position he did while he was president. He just didn't have much success in implementing of it, any of it. And that is that we don't need to be everyone else's first responder. We do not need to police the globe. We need, first and foremost, to protect the United States. That means its borders, its population. He wanted to do what Xi is trying to do with great difficulty. That's, that is, protect us, uh, house us, provide a decent standard of living, employment, and so forth for the American people. Now, when you look at DeSantis, I listened to him a few months ago, and he made the statement, much to my surprise, that we had no vital strategic interest in Ukraine that justified the presence of any U.S. forces uh, under any circumstances. And then within a few days, he reappeared and said, oh, I was wrong. We absolutely have to be there. So obviously, he's a man of extraordinary backbone and character. <laughs> Uh, and immediately surrendered whatever autonomy or independence he had to the big donors who said, oh, no, got to be at war. Nikki Haley uh, is probably 
just a little bit to the right of Hillary Clinton, but not enough to make much difference. Yeah. So what have you got on the so-called Republican side? I don't see anything. And then, of course, we have the stalwart president himself, Joe Biden, who was declaring victory the other night because Tucker Carlson had been removed from Fox News. Right. So much for the First Amendment and free speech in America. Wild times we're living in, Colonel. Listen, we're going to want to direct everybody that's not already tracking you and enjoys hearing you on our show to find you. Uh, where can we find your website? And we'll live link it in the show description today. All you have to do is go to douglasmcgregor.com or just plug in Colonel Douglas McGregor. You'll come to my website. Everything I've ever written or said or done, I think, is probably there. And, of course, YouTube. YouTube has got lots of different videos. Only a fraction of them are actually produced by me. Uh, most of them are by other people who have picked it up. So there's there's no shortage of that. The problem is that now with Tucker gone, I don't think uh, any of the major stations are going to carry anything I say or anybody like me. That's the tragedy. Yeah. And the American people deserve the truth. They've got to have the truth. And the only way they're going to get it is to demand it. They've got to look for it, but they've got to demand it. Somebody said the truth will set you free. Well, until we have the truth, we're not free in this country anymore. Uh, you hit the nail right on the head there, Colonel. And like I said, you've always got a, a landing pad here on Steak for Breakfast where we propriate telling the truth on a biweekly basis now. This is retired Army Colonel, one of our great friends. Love when he joins us on the show. Douglas McGregor, thanks for coming down today. Thanks, guys. In a lot of ways, this dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. But the truth is... We really have a record to be proud of. Vaccinated the nation, transformed the economy, earned historic legislative victories and midterm results, but the job isn't finished. I mean, it is finished for Tucker Carlson. <laughs> what are you wooing about like that? Like you think that's not reasonable? Give me a break. Give me a break. Look, like I often said, I'm going to uh, turn this over to Roy. Roy, the podium is yours. I'm going to be fine with your jokes, but I'm not sure about Dark Brandon. And that was Joe Biden at the White House <laughs> Correspondents' Dinner this weekend. <laughs> Taking pot shots at Tucker Carlson. And himself. Actually telling the truth and saying that his presidency has been historic. Historically <sighs> fucked. And transparent. You know, they transform the economy. Like, when you try to own the, the, the shit that people are making fun of you for, when you're on the level of failure that this president is, it doesn't work. I don't no. know about Dark Brandon. Well, the fact of the matter is, we all know where Dark Brandon came from. It's the Ashley time for your shower meme. And, and yeah, they're, they're using literally the same meme template on campaign shirts for 2024. So they're taking a pedophile joke meme and they put it on shirts for Joe Biden running for re-election. And then he rehashes it open during the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Got him. And they'll keep doing it. You sick. You sick. Oh, you molested your daughter. You showered with your daughter. And they're going to use it to hopefully re-elect you. They sat in that room. Well, how long until it gets bad and then they have to actually like... Uh, and then I said, uh, Ashley, let's go get in the shower. Mm. <laughs> it's Ashley time for your shower. Whatever. <laughs>
they I, sat I in that room, the ruling class, and and in awe said, "Fuck the American people. We're in charge. We will do what we want. We will make you believe what we want by telling you lies over and over and over." Celebrating platforming, deplatforming media pundits, like just sc- screw free speech, screw the First Amendment. We don't care. We hate you. The Uniparty hates you. We want you to live in poverty and just eventually die because we got the whole country vaccinated. You forgot to eat the bugs. Mm. And eat the bugs. Segwaying off that, <laughs> I'm not going to play any clips from it, but the White House press conference is going on right now. And to piggyback off of what Alan was dooming on, um, which is all factual. Did you just piggyback off what Alan was saying? Yeah. You're not allowed to do that. Sorry. <laughs> she that. just reiterated to the press pool that even though Joe Biden has agreed to meet with a bipartisan delegation of Congress next week, including Kevin McCarthy, this is a reassertion that Joe Biden is not negotiating the Limit Grow Save Act that passed in the House. <laughs> so... I don't know if they're just doing that for optics. Look at it this way. Peter Ducey asked her a question about the 1,500 troops being deployed to the U.S. southern border ahead of Title 42 ending, and he's like, if the border is under operational control, then why are we sending 1,500 more troops down there? And she's like, well, Peter, there's still work to be done. The border is both transparent and and open. And historic. 1,500 troops to help with processing. Like, people, this is not... A win. Those like juice boxes aren't going to hand out themselves. Mm. Yeah, we're, we're, they're not turning people away. If anything, they're going to have military transports that we're paying for to bring more migrants in. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's so ridiculous. So Ron DeSantis continues to have a bumpy ride on his pathway to officially announcing his campaign to run for president and abandon his now international not running for president book tour, talking about how great things are in Florida and places like Israel, South Korea, and Japan. And not give up his old job. We all saw that both people in the House and Senate, Kevin McCarthy and and I believe it was uh, Marco Rubio taking pot shots on him last week, talking about, you know, it's time to like lay off the Disney thing. It was great for optics. But what it's going to do in the end, it's going to make businesses attempting to relocate to Florida reluctant to move there because they feel like if they don't line up politically with who's ever in power, they are going to use that power to punish them. Um, and, and there were some people who have been arguing on social media about this. Listen, whatever Ron DeSantis is doing with Disney right now changes zero of what the creepy pedo trans movement agenda is doing at a national level. Exactly. I, I think all of us can agree Ron DeSantis fighting with Disney doesn't, stop any legislation doesn't kill any legislation in the womb figuratively speaking huh. it doesn't change any pre-existing legislation all it does is give him a talking point to use on combating whatever it is that means woke goes to florida to die and, and that's it like nothing that comes out of this disney case is going to change anything in in the trans push to normalize that psychotic behavior Exactly. Like, does fighting with Disney stop drag queen story hour in Florida? No. No. Does does it remove any books from the library that have explicit materials in them? No. No. It doesn't. And does it stop our people up on Capitol Hill from virtue signaling their newest grift, which is, you know, the transgender movement? They've they've used, 
Latinos and African Americans so much for votes now with all of these polls coming out saying that almost a fourth of Gen Z identifies as something other than their biological predetermined disposition. The Democrats are catering to them now the same way they've catered to every other minority in this country for decades, trying to just turn that demographic into votes for the future. So when Ron DeSantis goes after places like Disney, which is a completely shit-run company by all woke, disgusting people who want to just champion things that are not nurturous and, and valuable to children, all he's doing is empowering the Democrats in turn to whip more votes out of Gen Z to eventually make it harder for Republicans to win elections in places all over the country, not just Florida. Right. I mean, when, when you have a voter age demographic that's moving into its first election cycle potentially ever, and one-fourth of them identifies as a furry or a fucking whatever, <laughs> and you're saying people like Ron DeSantis and, and parlaying him into being a MAGA Republican and Donald Trump and all this other stuff is, is you know, essentially going to kill you, then which way do you think they're going to vote? They don't care if they're broke. They already live at home with their parents. None of them own homes. None of them have jobs. And it's it's something that we need to think about. But I saw CNN did want to highlight a big change that we saw out of the Florida legislature last week. Let's hear it. Ron DeSantis to run for president while remaining the state's governor. They had to tweak a state law known as resign to run, which would have done exactly what it says, required DeSantis to give up the governorship once he was on the ballot for 2024. So that's going to be gone now. And this comes as a major Republican donor is now vowing he will not support DeSantis for president, in part because he doesn't return any of his phone calls. And that donor, John Katsimidis, is now out front. He is the host of the Cats Roundtable and Cats and Cosby radio shows and uh, also the CEO of the Christie supermarket chain. And he gave more than $700,000 to former President Trump. I also, of course, will note, John, that you were a longtime supporter and donor to Bill and Hillary Clinton and other top Democrats. So you have given to uh, both parties over the years. But obviously, you are a major, a very significant Trump donor. And and now DeSantis isn't returning your call. I mean, can you tell me what's going on here? I mean, how many times have you called him? Do you think he's intentionally not returning the calls? Uh, No, uh, I have a lot of uh, Florida friends that helped uh, uh, him get elected. And uh, he hasn't returned any of their calls. And it's just, look, he, he, he is who he is. He's a, a good American, but his people skills are very, very bad. And the, the, what I find out is the more that people uh, hang out with him and the more uh, one friend of mine said he was sitting next to him at dinner. He never said one word. Mm. So uh, his people skills are not good. And I think that's one of his major problems. Seems to be a more common story that we've been hearing from. Like, a friend like, of mine said that they went in the bathroom after him. He didn't put the toilet seat down. <laughs> but but there was a you know the person who sat next to him in Congress for two years said they didn't talk to him once, and it was it's in Congress. So you're sitting next to a Republican, obviously. Like, do you think it was like a lot of grunts as they like you know step? And now the question: maybe you, the ass or the crotch? I don't, I don't know if you guys saw. Did you guys see the new MAGA Inc. video that came out yesterday? It's when uh, Vladimir Putin calls President Xi on the phone. Oh. And they t- <laughs> Maybe we'll have to just settle for pudding fingers. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I actually thought it was one of the like memers that did it. I didn't realize it was like an actual like campaign production. <laughs> hey, they put they put they put out the second one after well, the Dilly Hamas team did. Yeah, and we we asked Caroline Levitt last week, who's the official spokeswoman for the Super PAC, and she said, "Oh." Don't worry, there's more fire ones like that coming down the pike. <laughs> Boom, Monday they hit it with well, a Well, now they're just one. hiring memers to do it. So, 
It was funny, though. They said they went hardcore on the fake Vladimir Putin's Russian accent, but when they went to do the accent of President Xi, it was like they used the Wish version of it. So <laughs> it was just literally yeah. just somebody making fun of Chinese people. But, it was uh, I mean, it wasn't, was just... it wasn't shitty walk, but it was... Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, so seems like it was still... Some confusion. You know, we put out a new Substack this week. Actually, there's two of them. Uh, but the one that's out more recently kind of outlines Ron DeSantis's bumbling, fumbling path to announcing his official candidacy to run for president uh, in 2024 and outlines some of the biggest dirtbags who, who are attached to his teams with some pretty good insight and even some quotes from those closest to President Trump. So you want to check that out yesterday. You know, it's funny. Donald Trump Jr. alluded to it on our special edition of the podcast, which aired yesterday. You can download it now across every downloadable platform. You guys should be, make sure you're subscribed to everything. Anyways, and then on social medias, at Twitter, get a true social and Instagram, find Steak for Breakfast podcast. But he said, physically, he doesn't know anyone that did more for Ron DeSantis, even his own father, in 2018, because Don Jr. was pretty much unofficially attached to his campaign. And, and wherever they were going, he was leading him out in public appearances and said, Listen, once it got to last winter, the lines of communication uh, between, you know, Trump world and the DeSantis team, much like it has for Donald Trump Jr. And, and Fox News, Alan, I don't know if you know this, but he said he used to be on Fox News as many as 10 times a week. Mm -hmm. And then yes. right before the midterm elections, when he was really stumping for some of these candidates that his father had endorsed, the phones went cold and they haven't rang since. He said a lot of the same things came from the DeSantis team. You know, they had a, a pretty good relationship and said he had a good personal relationship with Ron DeSantis. And then, like, overnight, it just kind of ended. Sure makes sense if you think about the people that are in the background of both of those, the DeSantis team and the Fox organization and who's who and who's supporting and the GOP establishment and what their plan was and how they had a segue out of getting themselves away from, from Trump world. It mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Makes sense to me, too. I think... Uh, you know, one of the biggest things that I, I, Donald Trump alluded to as well. So we talked about the Florida paid influencer industrial complex, the DNC tier shit posters out there, Stan accounts and people connected to the DeSantis campaign. And he said, we see them. We know that we made them. And as far as our affiliation with them, it's virtually over. You know, they made their decision. They, essentially, they made their bed and that's where they're going to lie. So for all these people out there, you know, and he, he even used the example. He's like, yeah, it's so weird. It's like six months ago. They're like, oh, my dad is great. And now they're just like, oh, yeah, we can never go with this guy again. He's like, what makes that change? Money. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and the things that they're saying, like, oh, Donald Trump is, is a Democrat. He's he's a leftist. I mean, he's he's going on CNN for a, a town hall. And, you know, another thing where is they'll say, well, they'll use the narrative. Well, he, he doesn't want to uh, partake in a GOP debate. But he'll go on CNN for a town hall like th this is what these morons who all <laughs> grifted off Trump's name for years and got massive followings and talk shows and podcasts and sponsors. It, it, the grift is real. The, the Bill Mitchells, the John Cardildos, all of them, mm -hmm. literally. Jebba. It's, and, and, and they will. Oh, Je yeah. Jebba. Yeah. My my favorite. Jebba. Listen, Jebba. How great of it. We've all heard Donald Trump weigh in about what happened with Tucker Carlson. He also airs his own grievances with the network, often stating like, yeah, they just won't bring me on or they'll bring me on and we'll do a great interview. It'll be a perfect interview. And then there's like that nine second clip talking about elections that they just decide to pull out. Right. So how does Donald Trump answer the call? Does he go on boomer sweats? Does he go sit back down with Mark Levin? No, he accepts an invitation for a no holds bar CNN town hall this week. 
to which he's going to go and get absolutely destroyed by the moderators. They're going to try and find people in the audience who are going to pin nasty stuff to him. And Donald sure. Trump's going to do what he does every time. He's going to navigate it brilliantly. He's not going to leave anybody any receipts to use on him. It's so funny. He goes and does town halls and speaking events. Do you ever see Democrats using, like, the only thing I ever see them using is when he makes fun of the transgender people in women's sports, mm -hmm. how he does, like, the whole shake in his arms and grunting. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing. I never see them use his actual talking points, he said, because they can't. Because nope. those are the legitimate points. When you talk about America first, like, what is bad about that? It's called America first. No, it's a MAGA Republicans, man. <laughs> they should have a drinking game every time a Democrat says extreme MAGA Republicans this cycle. Go. You got to take a shot. What do you think? Do you think that the CNN um, uh, higher ups are looking forward to their massive uh, bump in ratings? That's got to be it. That, that has to be it. <laughs> yeah, there's no other rational reason for, for them wanting to do it. Hey, and again, brilliant move by Donald Trump getting ahead of the narrative. And not saying that he won't go do anything opposition early. It's not even officially the campaign season yet. We're still more than a yeah, year Yeah, they out. can't be like, oh, he's scared to come talk to yeah, us. He won't. And I'm sure right. he'll sit down with 60 Minutes again. He'll probably, oh, I would love to see him and Jake Tapper <laughs> stay in the fake union. <laughs> or Chuck. Well, somebody's leaving crying, and I'm pretty Chuck sure it's not going to be old Or Don. Chuck Todd. He's got to get one of those. So newly announced, less than 1%, Asa Hutchinson. Mm-hmm pushed back on this narrative with Ron DeSantis and kind of dunked on him a little bit as well. It seems like everyone who's in the race right now is is taking their shots at Ron DeSantis uh, with his battle with Disney and where it legitimately goes. Let's hear him. As a small government conservative, which you just repeated here, what's your take on leaders in your party, Ron DeSantis among them, who are actively using the government to change social policy and wage culture wars? Well, let's be more specific about Disney. I don't like what Disney said. Uh, about the legislation that I would have supported in Florida, but it's not the role of government to punish a business when you disagree with what they're saying or a position that they take. If that was the view of a Republican, then we're going to be in all kinds of trouble in our businesses in blue states if they start punishing businesses for taking a more conservative speech or that's position. actually the only good point he and makes. so I don't understand a conservative punishing a business that's the largest employer in the state. In Arkansas and as governors, we recruit industry. We support our industry because it provides jobs. And uh, we're not dictating to them uh, what their speech is. To me, that's a conservative position, and uh, you err when you go otherwise. Man, they had him on Fox News last night uh, with that guy who kind of travels around the country. He's got the show where he goes to, like, diners. His name is Lawrence. Anybody? Of Arabia? Close. His name is Lawrence Jones. And he was sitting in for Trace Gallagher, who did the earlier slot, and, and Lawrence Jones was in the late, late edition of, of Fox News Live. And they brought Asa Hutchinson on. And it, no matter what he said, Lawrence Jones just kept pushing back. How did, what are you going to do? Like, you're less than 1%. Like, you're 70% behind Donald Trump. Like, that's just a talking point. That's just a talking point. Like, what is your plan? He's like, Lawrence, well, you know, we were in the early. He's like, exactly, you're in a primary season. No holds barred. I was actually surprised Fox News had that kind of a, you know, because they're going to want to promote all these not Donald Trump candidates before they eventually gravitate back to, okay, we have to accept Donald Trump as the candidate. Um, but, yeah, they were really trying to terminate him, if you know what I mean, early on in the campaign. Former California governor. 
Speaking of Terminators, mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger sat down for an exclusive ah! primetime interview with CNN last night and asked about what he felt in regards to Donald Trump still being the clear leader of the Republican Party and most likely going to be the Republican nominee in 2024. I thought it was uh, something that Noah could probably make really good fun of, so <laughs> let's hear it. You said history shouldn't repeat itself. Donald Trump is now the front runner to be the nominee so of I your party, of the Dana Republican Bash, you're better party. Than that. Given everything you said, does that concern you? Absolutely not, because <laughs> being a front runner of one party and um, letting them dig this hole deeper and deeper is going to make it easier for the Democrats in the end to win. It's sad Get your to see that, that they couldn't come up with a new talent, with a new face that is a, um, a reasonable, smart, intelligent person that can lead this country uh, in a Republican way. You think there's no way he would win again? No. And Skynet has become self-aware. Screw your freedom. I can't do Schwarzenegger. Oh, man. Yeah, I thought th that that wow. interview started coming across my timeline last night. And I was like, oh, I got to go <laughs> download one of these clips for the show tomorrow. <laughs> I just wanted to hear. Yeah, he, he lost me. I, I, love his, I love his cinematic work, but he fucking lost me a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I liked him back when he was, you know, making movies like Commando yeah. and Conan. Yeah, he jumped the shark when he became the governor. Fuck Kindergarten uh, Cop and Jingle All the Way. Uh, <laughs> well, Kindergarten Cop's almost racist now. How dare you? And Or transphobic? Mm. I don't know. Something. Well, uh, yeah. Well, they're allowed to be straightphobic now. Listen, that, that's acceptable. As advertised, we're going to be talking about all things that are antiphobic with one of our favorite congressmen. New York's third George Santos in just a minute. But in our last audio clip of the day, and while we're kind of potpourrying through our last news segment, I saw current RNC chair. They're so sweet up there, too. <laughs> I send Ron and McDaniel's teams our dates every month, and I'm pretty sure that they're smart enough to at least go and browse social media to see how nicely we've been with the chairwoman over the course of the last several years. But they're always like, Hey, these look great. We'll get back to you. It's like a generic email that they send back. Yeah. Oh, we'll check these dates and get back to you. Hey, if we ever have the opportunity to get her on here, we will, and, and we'll hold her to the standard that we expect our, our listenership to hold us to. But she was at a speaking event yesterday and was talking about not only family ties, but settling differences and moving forward. Let's hear her. Abraham Lincoln wisely said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. That is true for our party. Hmm. Now, I am Mitt Romney's niece, okay. and I was appointed chair of the RNC Oof. by Donald Trump. Okay. Okay? I would support both of them if they were the nominee against Joe Biden in 2024. I don't know if they'd support each other. As someone who literally has the entire spectrum of the Republican Party in my body, we have got to put aside our differences. Huh? Man, our shows have just been too hypersexual lately. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm I'm Asshole. sorry, but she's useless. And when you when you do, if you do get her on the show, she should. You know, Scott Pressler, who we all know, we know, is probably one of the hardest working people um, who's not working for the GOP, who's not getting paid by the GOP or the RNC, who should be, who's out there trying to attract voters, younger voters, 
And actually today I just looked because he's keeping track. Today is day 18. Now he has over a million followers. She knows who Scott Pressler is. And today is day 18 that uh, she will not respond to him. And all she's asking is what, what he's asking is what she's doing to attract more youthful voters like Gen Z. Or how about you get on a Twitter space with all of these people and speak directly to the base and her team just completely ignores this. She is above everybody. She thinks who the hell she is. And I cannot wait for the day that she is not the chair of the GOP anymore. Maybe we can get someone like Scott Pressler as the chair of the GOP. She is utter pure trash. Well, that's not going to help get her on the show. Hey, listen. Sorry, we, boys. We got to call it like we see it. And, and so you know, saying she's not going to be the chair of the GOP. I like that. Um, <laughs> get your ass to Mars. <laughs> Get your ass to Mars. So I saw there was a poll that came out on CBS Sunday. And this is what's interesting about telling the truth. So the margin of error is nearly eight points. And it's why voting for Trump. That's the poll. Doesn't say who was polled. Doesn't say how many or what demographics they used. But because the margin of error is so high, you can only assume that these numbers are much higher than they're actually alluding to here. So let's hear it. And this goes directly against what all of the already announced candidates, Ron DeSantis, the Terminator, and Ron McDaniel have said uh, over the course of the last couple of clips you've listened to. Among those who are voting for Trump, the, the question was why? 94% past performance as president. 94% people likes that he fights for me. 84% believes he would beat Joe Biden. 82%. He deals with political opponents, how he deals with political opponents. 75%, he actually won in 2020. 65%, show supports for legal battles. 64%, personally, I like him. And 51%, he makes the libs cry. <laughs> I like that one. Got him. So listen, when you look at the numbers, especially within the Republican Party, Regardless of what all of these candidates are going to try and astroturf out there and rewrite history about how Donald Trump was awful and your life was worse and he was the president, for all the stuff that President Trump and his team and his family went through, the results are the results. Yes, there was decisions he could have made differently, especially when it comes to hires. Yes, there was ways he could probably have pushed policies forward that would have gotten passed easier and without some of the battles, but... The fact of the matter, he did really show about how awful Washington, D.C. is. And when you just think about the two government shutdowns that happened, especially the one that lasted almost two months, everybody else on Capitol Hill really didn't give a shit about you or your family during that time. Mm -hmm. They weren't working for you during that time. They were sitting on their hands because they didn't want to build the border wall. And what an idiotic thing to hang the entire country on. Yeah. Like, yeah. really? You're just going to... You're just going to kick off your shoes and fucking scream like a fucking toddler? There's Give me a break. Well over a million federal employees who didn't receive, you know, paying compensation for that time, but did have to report to work. So we just want to kind of remind everybody that. And we're going to lighten it up a little bit now. Stay in the thread of legislation and talk about the best and worst dress at the White House Correspondents' Dinner as we're about ready to get George Santos up on the phone. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's one of our favorite congressmen. He represents New York's 3rd District. He's an absolute king. George Santos, thanks for coming back on the show today. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me back. Oh, we couldn't uh, be happier to have you. And uh, you're out on the road right now uh, doing some work as you uh, usually are. Why don't you tell our listenership a little bit about the latest that's going on with your congressional office? 
Oh, there's so much going on, right? It's Small Business uh, Appreciation Week uh, nationally, so I've decided to go out all week and give um, some recognition to some local um, small business owners throughout the third district of New York. So today we're delivering uh, some, what, a dozen or, or two dozen almost proclamations to small business owners here in the district. Talking to them, we're also working on setting up a small business roundtable and sort of a council so that we can work together on putting policies together that I can come to these see author bills that would benefit small businesses across the country. So that's kind of what's, what's the today's task. But it, overall, it's just been busy time, right? Since we last spoke, I've introduced a slew of 11 bills, uh, mainly all conservative bills with, with either the, the uh, ability to cut spending or to just hold government accountable or just good governance bills and to also medical freedom bills. So this we're doing a little bit of everything that we were elected to do. Well, that's the thing I wanted to touch on you, uh, some some of the legislation that's going on up on Capitol Hill. But first, what, what, with what you're doing today, now, Congressman, we know there's been a lot of online detractors with you talking about the job that you do and this, that, and the other thing. Here's the thing. You know, we like to tell the truth here on, on Steak for Breakfast. And when we have you on, you know, we have respect for you as Congressman Santos because you hold the title of the office that you were elected to serve in. Now, when I see you out in the community, I don't see a lot of the negative press and hit pieces like we see sometimes commonly in the mainstream media. I see you out there working with the people who elected you to office and you're doing the things that they asked you to do for them up on Capitol Hill. It seems like wherever you go, the reception is for the most part warm. You want to let our listenership know a little bit about what it's actually like when you're on the ground meeting with the constituents of your district? Yeah, absolutely. So look, the reality is I was elected by 145,000 people. My opponent had 121,000 votes. So naturally, it wasn't unanimous. So there are people who didn't like me. Now they've just become the loudest people. (laughs) Yeah. And and they're pretty loud, right? Um, Nobody's louder than losers. Like when you lose something, you're loud. When we lost the presidential election in 2020, we were loud. Right. You know, so that's just a normal occurrence. But the reality here is, is I have not been in a room where I've had a negative confrontational experience. You know, we've had some spirited debates. We've had some agrees to disagree, but you know, it's, it's been good. I go into restaurants, I have dinner, people come over, take pictures, ask, ask to say hello, keep the fight up. And then there's critics, but that's just part of the job. You know, look, I enjoy hosting folks in, in DC when they come up from my district. I enjoy hosting folks in the office and I enjoy just going to the community. Look, what the mainstream media in Washington DC is selling is just not what's going on here. No, we don't see it, and, and we want to make sure that our listenership is aware of that's what's going on. We also direct everyone to check out the congressman's social media because you'll see many events where he's either hosting people within his office up on Capitol Hill or he's out in the community meeting with the people who voted him to office, assuring him that he's doing the job up on the Hill, which is what we're going to touch on next. So you guys got notched a big win last week. It was something that many in the mainstream media said wasn't going to happen, and that's the passing of Kevin McCarthy's bill for the debt ceiling. This uh, definitely threw Senator Chuck Schumer onto his heels. It's made Joe Biden bend the knee almost to the point to where now he's almost, I think he's ready to agree to sit down with Speaker McCarthy and talk about you know some amendments for this bill so they could kind of meet on a middle ground ahead of the summer. You know, we're, we're about a month away from when we hit the, the deadline, and uh for something that the House Republicans really needed to do, especially where I think there was four uh, House Republicans who didn't vote for this bill, whip a little bit on the Democrat side. This was huge for Kevin McCarthy. This was 
This kind of pushes back on everything the Democrats have been saying, that they're using committees and subcommittees just to grandstand and make talking points on the news and that they're not doing any work for the American people. And then this bill gets passed and it throws the entire other two branches of governments kind of on their head. Well, look, I'll say this. Uh, this, uh, this vote is uh, going to follow me for the rest of my life. I was an early on no on the vote. Because I want a stricter bill, I want a, a cleaner, uh, you know, precise bill on debt, right? I want to make sure that we're not increasing spending. I want to make sure that there's a part of the bill that's paying down existing debt. And that's just not there. We're not there yet. The Democrats are going to paint this as, oh, they're defunding this or defunding that. Right. I was the last deciding vote on this bill. And I was a no for a very long time. And when that ball hit my core and I said, wow, if I vote no on this, I fail the bill and I fail the speaker and I give, I take away the power from the speaker to go negotiate. And I don't want to live with that burden. So I voted yes on the bill to give McCarthy the ability to go to Washington, into the white house, pardon me, and negotiate. And now I think it was reported May 9th. Uh, McCarthy is going to be meeting with the, with the president. So I think that's a, that's a step in the right direction. We're six, to, six weeks away, according to Janet Yellen, from not having enough money. So let's, let's see where we go. No, I like when you look at the big scheme of things, Congressman, and you say that, you know, you reluctantly voted for this vote because of the fiscal principles you wanted to see implemented in it. But the fact of the matter is, by passing this in the House, it gives Republicans such a win with such a small majority in the House that now it gives Speaker McCarthy. Now the ball's back in his court as well. He does need to sit down and, and make sure that if he's going to give Joe Biden or Chuck Schumer anything, there needs to be some big concessions for you know the America First crowd, the, the ones that want to see inflation go down, gas prices go down, and this country get back on the right track in the next couple of years heading into the 2024 election cycle. You also talked about medical freedom. Want to talk about one of the things that you're pushing up on Capitol Hill that has to do with that? Yeah, so we, we introduced the Menage Act, which is a, a medical freedom act that prohibits the federal government from mandating a vaccine that's not been authorized and, and tested for 10 plus years. Um, and, and, you know, it's gaining a lot of traction. Look, is it named after Nicki Minaj? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But here's the one interesting thing that people forget. Politics is boring. If we can marry politics to pop culture, we can bring more people to the table to participate and engage and work like with us and actually pay attention to what's going on. And I think that's what politicians fail is to make politics entertaining, make it worthwhile. My, I have a very creative staff. They came up with the acronym Minaj. Nicki Minaj was a very early on uh, in opposition to the mandate and to the COVID-19 vaccine, yep. rightfully so. So we thought it was appropriate, and I think it's great because now he gets everybody talking. Well, you can get pop culture talking about politics. That's a win for the country because you're communicating with an entire audience that would have never talked about policy, politics, or government affairs to begin with. So that's, that's how we're trying to do, engage younger minds, engage a disenfranchised part of our country who doesn't pay attention and who doesn't even vote, quite frankly, in most cases. So that's why we're coming up with nuanced ways to get into into different segments of, 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 of life 
in, in, in the United States. So I'm very excited about that because I'm very passionate about medical freedom. Yes. I'm very passionate about making sure that we protect medical freedom for all Americans. And this is a bill that I do believe it's great. It's gaining legs and pretty soon we should get a couple of co sponsors on it. Sounds amazing. You know, I, I like the catchphrasedness of it. The Menage Act, obviously, Nicki Minaj, you mentioned, is the, the you know, muse for the name. But when you start to look at why the bill is being drafted and what it could mean for the American people, I think that's actually, we, we do have to start spicing it up a little bit, which is where I want to touch on you last. Obviously, we got to give Patriot Takes something to post about. They went back and pulled an interview you did with us before the midterm elections yesterday where you talked about the Met Gala. Let's talk about the best and worst dressed of the White House Correspondents' Dinners this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard you made made some references to say the TJ Maxx probably had empty racks after you saw some of these people walking through the red carpet. But uh, let's hear it. Let, let, let's make some receipts. All right. So here's the not TJ Maxx, Coles and Macy's. That was my uh, <laughs> my my show. But um, look, I, I gave I gave compliments to men and women that I don't agree with. I thought Al Sharpton had a fantastic textured tuxedo. Quite frankly, I like it a lot, uh, and it looks great on him. Uh, I'm not a fan of Al Sharpton, uh, but he, 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 it was a win. Sunny Houston from, from The View, I think we can all agree that I'm no fan of hers, but she looked fantastic, right? And then you had, on the other hand, I mean, you had people who just, I don't know what the, you know what, possessed them, but <laughs> to wear what they were, but there was a lot of misses there. I mean, yeah. Gail, of all people, should have known better to not wear the dress she wore, and she did it. So, look, look. the reality is you got to have fun with this. I get to go and comment on this stuff, and people say, why? And I said, because I can. I have my First Amendment right. I'm a member of Congress, but I'm also human. It's the weekend. Uh, it's, you know, I get to be a person. And quite frankly, if I don't get to use the first openly gay Republican member of Congress and be a little catty, I mean, what's the point, you know? We'd simply be wasting time if that was the case. All right, Congressman, last question. Best and worst dress besides yourself, obviously. We're going to give you the nomination for best dressed on the Republican side. Up on Capitol Hill, have your congressional con- counterparts. You want to maybe allude to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So uh, I, I, I think it's great. So on the Senate side, I think best dress is Kirsten Sinema, hands down. I like it. People make fun of her dresses. I think she she has a sense of style. It's, she's jovial. She she she's just very appealing to the masses. On the house side, I would say it's a tie. And and I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. It's it's going to be a tie. Be, and I'm going for the ladies here. It's going to be Julia Letlow from Louisiana and AOC. AOC. You Look at that dead silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love it anytime. Dun- Listen, we're just taking the pictures. You just dunked on AOC. We, we, we love that here on Steak for Breakfast. You know, I, I think it's between the two of them. House counterparts, who you got best dressed besides yourself? So this would be 1A. Uh, look, I, I, I would say Jeff Andrew. Mm, that's a good one right there. He usually does come bringing the heat. And he does. He, he has sharp suits, tailored, perfect. Guy knows how to dress. You got to give it to him. 
well, you know how to dress and you know how to bring the heat here on Steak for Breakfast, Congressman. Listen, we're going to be seeing you a couple times this month. Uh, we appreciate the fact that you took time out of your busy schedule. Everyone that's up on Capitol Hill is actually out in district running around today. You know, Representative Eli Crane was out visiting with the uh, Native Americans and, and didn't have really good service. Lance Gooden's driving around Houston right now and uh, talking to his constituents. And we, we caught up with you. So anyone that's not following you, we're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But what handle do you want everybody to follow? Uh, just look, you can follow Rep George Santos on all social media and get caught up with what's going on um, officially on the official side of things. You're getting legislation. You're getting America first. You're getting fashion tips here on Steak for Breakfast today. <laughs> this is the representative from New York 3, Congressman George Santos. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, guys. Who would have guessed it? Al Sharpton, best dressed at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Noah Radin. <laughs> Al Sharpton? Mm hmm. I didn't see it. <laughs> Still think he owes taxes on his tuxedo? Yes. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now over 235 other editions of the show, you can find us on every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podatic, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download this and like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. And... The CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company, Alan Jacoby, who sat third chair. Representatives Lance Gooden, Eli Crane, and George Santos. And then retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor. Gang, thanks for coming down and helping make steak great again. Speaking of which, make sure you're going out and throwing some of your hard-earned cash, even in this horrible economy, at some great American small businesses. Because when you do that, you're only helping making them great again. Namely, my pillow. Everybody loves Mike Lindell, probably loves sleep even more, might even be a fan of coffee. Mm. When you have a pro- promo code steak at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings down at all of our friends at MyPillow. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be found at Odyssey. If you're getting serious, doing a little podcasting, Maybe record a little music in the studio. Make the investment. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. They're on Instagram and Facebook as well. Man rubs. Probably going to throw a little man rub seasoning on some steaks I got for tonight. There you go. Should be delicious. You get a promo code steak here. You're getting 15% off your order. Manrubs.com is the website. They're on all the socials. Guys, don't mistreat your meat. We mentioned Alan, who sat in today as guest host. He's the CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company. You know, promo code steak at his website, you're getting 15% off your order. Every order over 100 bucks gets free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And Farmer Bill's Premium Beef Jerky. You know, promo code steak here, you're getting $5 off your order. Put a 12-pack together, free shipping. Check out all the great stuff they've got going on at FarmerBill'sProvisions.com. Upcoming shows, we'll be back on Friday... A little bit of a heater. Christina Bob, Ambassador Rick Cornell, and Boris Epstein of the Trump tra- campaign. Should be a good one. Next week, we're coming in on Tuesday. Brian Lieb, Jim Nels, and Trump attorney Jesse Benal will be here. We'll finish out the week. Oh, a little bit more George Santos. Next Friday, he'll be here. So will Liz Harrington, and we'll be sitting down with Kenny Cody again. Gavin Wax, Josh Hammer, and Congressman Max Miller will be here on the 16th. Lead pollster for Rasmussen Polls. Mark Mitchell will be here on the 19th, as will Ambassador Jeffrey Ross Gunter. 
On the 23rd, Congressman Mike Collins will be joining us. So will George Santos again, and we'll be sitting down with Cash Patel. Brian Lieb and Jim Nels will be here on the 26th. I've got Devin Nunez finalizing a date with us, so look for us to add him to the queue really soon as well. Friends of the Week, got my list right here. We can never forget our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastie Man 420, Siberian Kitten, CSM Master, and Friends. They love to play Minecraft and live stream it on YouTube. They love sharing Steak for Breakfast content a little bit more. Some Call Me Tim 79 came back with a vengeance this week. Several posts dedicated to him enjoying our show. Tim, we love your comments. And then let's check out who was caught sharing Steak for Breakfast content across other social medias. Let's go, Brenda. Jillian2205. Venom. You send me like 40 reels a day. I love every single one of them. Keep doing it. Phenom, Ultra Maga Fran, also Ultra Maga Spud, Nightwing X, Prepare the Cannons, Ghost Hammer. I said Ghost Hammer. One more time. Ghost Hammer. Scissor me, Tambers. And then, of course, we've got the meme team Miguelifornia, Who White Memes, The Real Meme DeLorean came back with the Trump yelling at the kid mowing the lawn meme. <laughs> Always our favorites. I love that one. Madam America, Mostly Peaceful Memes, Edward Russell, and Lauren Eve. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday's show. Number one, do your own research. A lot of stuff going on with Ukraine. A lot of stuff shouldn't be going on between the U.S., China, and Taiwan. Mm. And retired Army Colonel Douglas McGregor came in today to kind of open up a can of worms for everybody to go and do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Oh, yeah. Welcome. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We talked about it a lot on the show today. We don't talk about American greatness enough. It's time that we started talking about American greatness again. And number four, let's see what happens. This has been episode number 235 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And we'll be back on Friday, 236. Trump attorney Christina Bob, former ambassador Rick Grinnell, and Trump team advisor Boris Epstein. On behalf of the entire pod team and Alan, who's no longer with us figuratively, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. And take care. What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. That is good. <laughs>